here it comes again, lunch. Will it be the same old, same old? Or are you ready to take a vacation from the ordinary with the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub at Firehouse Subs? Freshly sliced smoked turkey breast, craveably sweet mustard sauce, and a hint of Caribbean seasoning. Just $5.55 for a medium. Save time. Order the new Jamaican Jerk Turkey Sub on the Firehouse Subs app. Firehouse Subs. Enjoy more subs. Save more lives. Participating locations. Limited time only. Plus tax. Prices may vary for delivery. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everyone, to Wrestling Omakase. This is John here, and we are here for episode 16, and we have our fastest ever returning guest, Mr. J.R. Goldberg. He was on episode (laughs) 9, and he's back on episode 16. So how's it feel to set an Omakase record? Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's probably one of the more noteworthy achievements of my life, actually. So, uh, <laughs> no, I'm very excited to be back. I, uh, you know, I was I was talking about that. I was on a podcast last night um, with Sam from We Don't Know Wrestling, and like we were talking about how like we all sort of know and joke about how the podcast market in wrestling, especially, is sort of saturated. So, like, uh, on some level, you do it, and it feels like frivolous, but on another level, like if you you want to do things that you enjoy and like i did truly have a blast when we mm-hmm. when we talked about roh last time um and uh i i think that that's awesome i i was just uh i was overjoyed when we had a chance to do it again yeah um the the the, the first episode one of our more popular ones i think uh that's not the main topic we're here to discuss but we are going to get to it um on the back half so we'll get back to Ring of Honor again. The main reason why we're here, though, is the first ever um, listener-requested episode where we did, a couple weeks ago, I did that episode with Rich, uh, Rich Krejci, of course, one of the co-hosts of the Voice of Wrestling flagship on the Japanese and North American um, Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame candidates, an episode where we touched on apparently one wrestler by the name of Trish Stratus, because that's the only one anyone talked about for the, after the episode came out. Apparently, it was just two hours of Rich and I talking about how much we loved Trish Stratus, how, what a great candidate she was, how we were both going to vote for her for sure. Like, that's the reaction that we got. It was like, we talked about her for, I think, like 10 minutes out of a two-hour episode, and neither one of us said she was, a, like, an actual good candidate. But that's, that was somehow the only thing that came out of the episode. But anyway... <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, as... I listened to it and all i got was the trish stratus you know? that's true yeah, yeah. i mean I, I honestly like i was waiting for somebody to come at me about june akiyama because i that's the one that i was like i was really belligerent about because i really don't understand the anti akiyama voters but He's the, i'll say this like i obviously i'm not the most well-versed um person for japanese wrestling but like looking over the entire ballot and not just mexico um I think Junakiyama is the one person that stands out to me as like as a, a no brainer candidate. Uh, aside from a few of the people we'll go over today, uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't. I mean, I, I don't. I really don't get any any of the critiques. We talk, I talked about enough on the Rich episode, but like I like all the critiques I've ever heard about him make no fucking sense to me. So <laughs> it's really it's him and Shima that I think, as far as the ones we talked about, that I thought had the best case. Yeah. And then no nobody in North America really had any fucking case at all like the I mean, best slaughter you could, i guess right yeah you could be like sergeant slaughter um i could hear an argument for edge but i think he you know like i said if he'd stayed a heel the whole time it would have been a lot better 
Um, but yeah. like, like that babyface run just killed it. But I know you, you guys addressed why you didn't think Goldberg should be in, but like, yeah. uh, you know, I, I, I would listen to arguments for Goldberg. Uh, I, I, people after the, after the episode, like I think Dylan Hales was one who, um, he, he thought we were way too hard on Goldberg. I don't know. I just, I can't see putting in a guy who was basically a top guy for nine months. Like I just, I don't know. Right. Like, like may, maybe the argument is like, he was so, um, transcendent in those nine months that, and I, I, guess that actually doesn't make sense yeah. when i think about it more because he was everywhere in 1998 like that's that's very fair but yeah i just the just not doing anything other than that until this last little run i don't know i just couldn't see it but but i probably yeah, I mean, was like, maybe a little hard on him i'm i'm also uh like of the opinion like you know d- does his does this run in wwe that he just did really make a difference right because he would yeah. be on the ballot if, if he did, if didn't have that run like, if you didn't think he was in before, like, I don't think that this makes a difference. It just makes him more visible. You know? Yeah. I mean, I totally agree. Like, he basically, he, like, that runs nice. Like, that's a cool cherry on top if you're already a great candidate, but, like, or if you're borderline. But to me, he wasn't borderline. So I don't see how that could really make that big a difference. Maybe right. he keeps, if he keeps coming back, though, and keeps, like, cause I know he's already talked about doing another match. Yeah. Like if he keeps coming back and keeps drawing every time he comes back, then I, maybe I don't know. That'd be something. Yeah, put it, put it, like if they put him with Cena and main event another Mania, yeah, put it in. Why not? Yeah. Um, but like what the rest of the candidates are like, I had a, my friend uh, I, I referenced on here a few times. He used actually used to go to all these Ring of Honor shows. I mean, my friend Quinlan, he got really mad at me for being so tough on Randy Orton afterwards. <laughs> I'm just like Randy Orton, like of all the people, like, Randy Orton has no fucking case. I cannot stress enough. He has. Quinlan, I hope you're listening. He has no fucking <laughs> case whatsoever. None. Like, if you're going to put Randy Orton in, you might as well be like, anyone that WWE pushes for more than a year deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Because that's right. the only argument for him. He's never met. And Quinlan's like, oh, he was a mayor veteran. Well, great. I mean, what, what, did, what did Randy Orton ever mean anything to WWE business, you know, like on any fucking level? Like, if you're going to put him in, like, you know, every basically every W candidate would be a no-brainer, is what you're saying. Like, Punk, Edge. Um, I mean, fuck, you, you have to put The Miz in. And The Miz <laughs> is a good ring wrestler. But, again, he's meant nothing to visit. You have to put The Miz in. You would have to put uh, fucking Jack Swagger. Let's hear some Jack <laughs> Swagger arguments if Randy Orton's in. Because the only thing that's different is the length of their push. Right. I mean, the... the, <laughs> the... The WWE Hall of Fame and the Observer Hall of Fame are different things for different reasons, and that's that's good. Like yeah. they should be. But like Randy Orton is a first ballot WWE Hall of Famer. Yeah, very true. Uh, but he's but, not a first ballot Wrestling Observer Hall of Famer. Yeah, it's just I mean he's not any ballot. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean the the actual reason why we're here though, before I got sidetracked, is to talk about the Lucha candidates. Yeah. So, um, so Thoros on Twitter, a, a guy who's followed me for a long time. Um, shout out to Thoros. Yeah, one of my favorite. Uh, as far as, I enjoy I, I enjoy talking with him on Twitter. Um, you know, I was gonna say, as far as I know, a cool dude. It feels yeah. like every every time you turn around, like someone on Twitter is like, ah, so I hope that never happens to you, buddy. But as far as I know, Thoros is a cool dude. Yep. And Thoros, like, he, he basically was like, after this episode came out, he was like, you should have uh, J.R. Goldberg back on the show to talk to Lucha Canates. And J.R. was like, oh, fuck, I'll do it. Yeah. So, like, he was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. I mean, oh, so 
obviously this needs to come with some caveats. First of all, I know nothing about Lucha. I cannot stress enough. Absolutely nothing. I don't like, this is not even a thing where I want to like anyone to be under any pretense while I'm doing this episode that I know anything about Lucha other than what I read on Wikipedia on the bus ride home today from work. And (laughs) what I've read in, like, I know some of these names, obviously. Sure. Um, Any any wrestling nerd who read the observer in like the two thousands will know any of these names or, you know, a lot of these names anyway. But, you know, again, I don't, I don't really watch it. I've, I've seen, I've probably seen these, a lot of these people wrestle more in Japan than I've seen them wrestle in Mexico. Certainly. And that's, uh, you know, there's a bunch of guys here that, that had, I mean, there's a former IWGP junior heavyweight champion on this list. Yeah. Um, do you know who it is off the top of your head? Uh, is it Wagner or no? No, it's uh, way more recent than that. It was 2009. Oh, no, I don't know. Who is it? Okay, right before he jumped to WWE, it was Mystico. It was Mystico? Did yeah, he, he, beat, he beat Tiger Mask for the junior title and lost it back to him, I think, like six months later. Sure. But, um, but yeah, I mean, and, and to this day, like that, like, that run is very well remembered by New Japan fans. Like, apparently, when the second Mystico was coming over, people got really excited before they realized that it was <laughs> a different guy. But, yeah, they were, like, really into the... And, and, and even then, the new Mystico was very over. Yeah. So, I mean... Yeah. But yeah, so think he's not a terrible wrestler. Uh, you know, I mean, he's fine. You know, yeah, I liked him, and I liked him in uh, Fantastic Mania. Yeah, but that's that's the context I know most of these wrestlers in. It's like, oh, Ultimo Guerrero, he's very over Kirk and Hall, and you know, the crowd <laughs> likes him raising the roof, or whatever the hell is that? What he's doing? Is he raising yeah, the roof? He's raising the roof. Yeah. I never knew if that was like as just raising the roof, or if like there's some other meaning to it. But yeah, the, the crowd loves it in japan oh, yeah. when he does that but that's it's over, that's, in, it's over in mexico too it's <laughs> super over but that's the context i know most of these rushers then so um you know the, the last the last series of matches i really watched in mexico you know i mean you can probably guess what's the last series of ma- what's the last series of lucha matches i would have seen oh jesus okay it's uh, very recent yeah uh, uh, the Dragon League Kamatachi yes, stuff? Yes, exactly. So I saw all those matches. Like, those are awesome. That, so. I, yeah, it's a guy that I was already very, you know, invested in as a young lion. And I was like, you know, I'm going to – and everybody kept saying, you know, how good these matches were. I was like, okay, well, I'll watch them. Yeah. Usually when people recommend me lucha, it's like JR telling me to eat my vegetables at the end of the year. He's like, watch your lucha. <laughs> Can't do <laughs> – do match of the year list. That's very but, funny that you uh, that you bring up that metaphor because when – um, a few years ago, when we were doing the, the like when Good Helmet from DVDVR and uh, PWO was still putting out 80s sets, uh, and we got to the Lucha 80s set, uh, which I loved, of course, uh, but like a couple people uh, used that same exact metaphor of saying like getting through that set was sort of like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's, it's very weird because like there's a disconnect with Japanese wrestling fans and Lucha fans. Maybe we could talk about this while we have you on here anyway. Yeah. I know you, I've seen you talk about this on Twitter before. And like, I, I mean, when I watch it, it's not like I sit there like, Oh, this fucking sucks. Like, it's not like I sit there and hate it. Right. But, but like, there's always something in my mind. It's always like, well, you know, I could be watching, I could be watching Lucha Rezu. I could be watching like all this other stuff that I enjoy more. And it just comes, but then when the luchadors come over and like Fantastic Mania, I'm like, ah, oh, yay! Here's yeah. the luchador. Like I'm excited for them in that context, but but then I I can't usually can't get myself to sit down and just watch like CMLL tapes. 
Sure. So I don't know. Like, do you have any thoughts on why they, like Luke, the Dooku Shorts in Japan, it almost always works and, so, and it's really fun and plenty of Japanese wrestling fans like it, but a lot of Japanese wrestling fans like me won't just sit down and watch Lucha. Do you have thoughts on why that is? Yeah, I do. Um, there's a few things that, that I always bring up when, when asked this question. Um, one, in a larger context, I think that there's two main factors that I always like to point out. One is a socioeconomic factor in that um, Japanese wrestling for a long, long time, I mean, even since its inception, basically, has always been in a position where they could fly in American talent and top-level American talent like Stan Hansen and people like that went there and could make a career there and were were paid well and um, lived a very comfortable lifestyle there. And so in some ways, uh, Pro and U.S. wrestling um, have uh, like tight genetic lineage. You know, they there's there's roots that are similar and things that are over in one context will be over in another context. Um, while Lucha, um, you know, aside from a few people, like, I mean, you know, uh, Marco Coleone, Mark Jindrak, you know, has been in CMLL for a long, long time now. But like, you know, and there's a few other guys like Sam Adonis is there now. But like, um, by and large, like Mexico has been much less interested in bringing in Americans um, and having them work an American style. Uh just like, and I think Americans, by and large, have been less interested in going. You know, I don't think that it's quite as exotic. I don't think it's quite as financially lucrative um, to go to Mexico. Um, you know, uh, there's there's obviously points in time where that isn't true, but I think that's that's a big thing. I also think that Japan, by and large, uh, is more interested in American things culturally than uh, than Mexico is. Um, so I think that they're uh, you know, they had more of an idea of like when they were putting on professional wrestling in Japan, like having things Americanized in some way was appealing to them. While for Mexico, they're like, yeah, we're just going to do our own thing, you know? And so like there, there is a hump to get over when you're an American watching Lucha. You see guys working in a way that seems really foreign compared to, compared to Puro, you know, like guys not taking back bumps from any instance or um uh the the rules and trios matches that like people still have to get explained uh whenever they're watching cmll for the first time mm. um you know like uh there's just all these different or like the refs like the refs are a, a complaint that you hear all the time like um why do people count so slow why is the ref always out of position like why are they a heel, <laughs> you know, like but, you know, some of that stuff I'm actually used to from like direct, like a lot of that what you described is in like Lucha Resdu. Yes, some of that. Yeah. like the, the heel ref thing, it like come. It's heel ref thing is like very constant, Mexico, right? Like there's always a heel ref. Not always. I mean, oh, okay. Uh, I think that I think that refs skew more heel than face, but like I think that's a trope that is fading in modern Lucha. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because yeah, the, the heel ref thing is a very like it, it only exists in Dragon Gate, like. Slash Toriumon like twice basically for like about a year to two years each time. So it wasn't like like obviously over the entire fifteen year history, they haven't always been heel refs, but you know it's existed a couple times. 
Yeah. I'm like, like the, the, with, with trios matches, you're talking, are you talking about like the Lucha tag where they can tag if they hit the ground? Uh, well, there's that, can... but in, in CMLL, uh, each trios team has a captain. Okay. Uh, well, they do have four. What's they that? Do have cap- they have captain's falls matches in like Dragon Gate, which you know, yeah. stuff too. So you can win a fall. It's always two out of three falls, and you can win a fall by either pinning or submitting the captain or both his partners. Oh, got you. Okay. And um, it's, it's a little different. And, yeah, yeah. And like if you pin one person who is not the captain, they are essentially eliminated until the end of the fall. Gotcha. Um, but like by and large, a, a fall finish happens like boom, boom if you're pinned. Yeah. You know? So the, does that is that again fading or is it still a thing? No, that's still how CMLL okay. does does their things, and it's interesting because like um, the you know like people Meltzer this year Dave Meltzer um, uh, uh, has been like really um, recommending people watch uh, CMLL on Fridays, like the the show on Claro, uh, which is like their big show of the week. Um, yeah. Uh, to people because he's really liked it uh and it's been okay it's been a pretty good show for most of the year um but people are like constantly asking him that question of like what are the rules here dave like <laughs> we do not get this like why are they kidding people all the time like uh, but but um but yeah so that shows you i, I totally forgot about the captain role but yeah. the, the captain thing in in dragon gate is in like minchinoku and persons like that it's more like a special stipulation they'll put in for some for like the occasional elimination match, yeah, like, it's like, like every mid card trio, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Whereas, like, it might be like one elimination match a year might have the captain's fall rules or something, yeah. But led to one of my favorite, one of the more famous turns of all time, where during the brief run where Dragon Kid was a heel, which you know, it's, it's funny already, Dragon Kid is a heel, but like, he it, it was basically they had like a five on one advantage in an elimination match, but he was the captain and he, like, I think Shingo managed to pin him. And you know, win the entire match outright by paying the oh. captain. So they basically, like on the next show, were like kicked him out for being such a fucking idiot to get pinned <laughs> when they had a five-on-one advantage. Which is like, yeah, that that that's uh, very fair, actually. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's probably the most memorable captain's fall match I can think of. Yeah. So it doesn't happen that often. Um, but yeah, so Lucha, you know, like you said, it's got a very different rule set. Um, but I don't know. It's like there's something to it's something to like just the feel of it, you know, like that's what it, that like, it's not really so much like following the rules or anything. It's just something about it that, that does feel, and I think it's what you're talking about, the connection of Puro and American wrestling. Like yeah. it feels more foreign. It, it's a hundred percent. So like that might be like something that is a turnoff. And I, you know, I try to get around it and watch it, but just, it feels very foreign watching it in a way that Puro does not feel nearly as foreign, which is, sure. you know, but and that's but okay. Sure. Like, like that's like, there are it it is it is not a bad thing you, you know like yeah. people are allowed to not like lucha as much you know i mean there is um uh, and we'll get into this when we start talking about the candidates too another big issue um that we run into is like we we have what like in the u.s basically every major match since 1977 or something like that is on tape <laughs> way you know yeah, in Japan, we're not too far off from that. What, like the mid '80s or something like that? Um, yeah, I mean, there's even stuff from the a lot of stuff from the late '70s and early early '80s on tape. 
sure. I mean, like, there's some, yeah, a, a lot of the late, a lot of the late 70s, early days stuff is on tape. Um, yeah. So I think it just depends. There's like these promotions that are lost. Like, uh, I can never remember the name of it, like the IWE or something. The one that was like a big rival in the mid 80s, or the mid 70s, I mean, like that, I think it's completely lost or okay. close to it. But like New Japan and All Japan stuff, like they're, they, I mean, there's definitely New Japan footage in the late 70s. I've lost it. Sure. So, yeah. But, um, yeah. And, you know, just like for Lucha, you know, I think this is another big thing. You know, we have, and we'll talk about this for a lot of it, actually, but like we have footage going back uh, to the early 80s, but like it is super spotty until you get to like 1991 or 1992 yeah. um, and even then like now um the, like the crash is probably the like um you know one of the most buzzworthy promotions in mexico um you know like they're sort of like the the third biggest promotion right now and they have a lot of matches that people want to see and like they don't have television and they don't put their shows on the internet like so yeah. um you know, who's Who's some of the top stars for people who are listening? How like anyone, anyone people would know casually in in Crash or all yeah, over in Crash. Uh, so the like they're heavily promoting Penta Zero M or whatever. Okay, that's, uh, a pretty, you know, that's one pe- people would definitely know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, versus Roosh. Um, okay. So that's sort of their that's where they're going. Um, and then they also just announced a couple of days ago that um, L.A. Park, who we'll talk about today. Um, <laughs> Is, is also just signed and so um they're they're really positioning themselves uh for having like um a lot of really good brawlers at the top of the card um they also have started bringing in uh you know a lot of u.s guys too um and i think they've got a working relationship with defy in the northwest so um yeah they're they're uh they're a strong promotion right now just uh, in terms of their lineups but none of this gonna make tape uh, probably not. No, I think, I think Cody I mean, was I setting would, up I would watch that match. Pentagon Black and Roosh. I mean, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I think Conan, uh, this is not a joke. It's going to sound like a joke, but I think Conan is setting up a Patreon to, to, <laughs> to try and get money to like put right, this folks, stuff out. You know, five dollars. Go, go. Yeah. I mean, that'd be would be a far less stupid use of five dollars than like giving a Chapel Trap House or something. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, how much money those people need, right? Um, but yeah, like. I don't know the I, I mean that's kind of crazy that, that that like there's really nothing in Japan like that that doesn't still make tape except for like I don't know like the, the biggest promotion I can probably think of is like Marvelous which is like the fifth or sixth biggest Joshi promotion right yeah so, like, like that's the biggest one I can think of that consistently like almost never makes tape yeah. or like basically never I think they might have even launched their own streaming service or something though yeah, that right. I think about it so I don't know like what's the I mean, Michinoku Pro doesn't make tape enough. Now I think about it. it makes tape I'll a couple of times. Apple is going to have a streaming service in a couple of months. You know? <laughs> <laughs> like everybody, everybody has it. I mean, yeah, the, the streaming thing, it's funny because like that's really not a big deal in Japan yet. Like over the top, like internet streaming. Like yeah. New Japan's streaming service, I think that's like, you know, like what does it do? Like 60,000 or whatever. And like that's the second biggest one in the entire country. Wow. But people don't realize, like, it's only behind um, the one of the two Japanese, because Japanese baseball is separated in, like, an American League and National League. It's, like, I think Pacific and Central. And I think it's the Pacific is the one that has the um, their own streaming league, but they only have, like, 85,000 or something. Hmm, so, like, it's, yeah, it's not that much more. 
But yeah, so that really hasn't caught on caught on big yet, which is surprising because you think in a country where like nobody has cable or satellite, <laughs> they'd be more into that. Everybody has the internet. Yeah. But but yeah, I don't know. It's not a thing yet, really. Um, but yeah, so they don't, I don't know why they don't get off their they they need to get off their asses, crash. Or everybody else needs to get off their ass and like send some send Conan some money. Yeah, seriously. Well, I probably would not send Conan money directly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let, let, yeah, let's get Crash to make some tape. That that would be good. Um, but yeah, so that's cool though. The that I mean, well, no, it's not cool. The last step doesn't make tape, I guess. Yeah. But um, but I do think that's like a reason. Uh, yeah. I, I I think it's a reason why maybe it's harder because we we don't see the evolution of style as fluidly as we do. Um, you know, in, in Japan and in the U S um, and I, you know, to, to segue to our, to our topic, I think it's the reason why there's a log jam, um, of, of like, candidates yeah. from that area or that time period, I should Makes say. Sense. So yeah. now the, the thing I was thinking of too, of, of another big difference is like what, so what you're saying is basically the only promotions that you can count on in Mexico to make tape are like CMLL, AAA and like Lucha, the other one, Lucha Elite or whatever. Yeah, and Elite isn't really a thing anymore. So oh, like that's dead, right? Yeah. So Okay. So it's uh, really just CMLL and AAA. Yes, exactly. So like, you know, again, if you compare that to Japan, you know, you could follow there's like 15 fucking promotions, more than that actually, that you could just right. watch and so like if you it, it's just a much more robust thing to follow than Yeah. Or the US, I mean, you can follow like you know, if you were the world's biggest like what's a what's a shitty indie like if you're the uh, world's you biggest really... like, House of Glory fan, <laughs> you know, like I was thinking, I was, I was trying to think of one in like the fucking Midwest, <laughs> but, or like some shitty promotion. Right, like if you really like I W A B South. Like if you were the biggest Glory <laughs> Pro wrestling fan, like you could follow just that, you know, if you wanted, right? Yeah, like, you would be able Britain, to get Britain too, Britain too, yeah. yeah, Britain too, like yeah. So like it's just. It doesn't make so like that. That's hard, I think. I guess for people to understand that they, there's a lot more stuff they just cannot watch. Right, so. and you know, and it's just the business model down there, right? Like it's just uh, like CMLL uh, is a good example of this. Like all of their shows are in arenas that they own, right? Like uh, they own Puebla, they own Arena Mexico, you know, they own their other arenas. So like they don't tour around. Uh, they own these arenas. And like they make all of their money from the gates on these shows. Yeah. Like uh, that's why they don't care that they put their shows up for free on Claro uh, on Fridays and Facebook on Fridays. You can stream their show on Facebook for free, and then on Mondays you can stream it on YouTube for free. So like they're trying to convince you to come to come, basically. I guess. Yeah, but, exactly. Right. Like it's yeah. you know, and you can tell in the way that they shoot their shows um, that like. Uh, this is a a very big difference between like American shows and Japanese shows and uh, and Mexican shows. Uh, like if you watch CMLL, um, so much time uh, from the camera is devoted to like people laughing and having a good yeah. time. In the okay, even I've noticed that. So that's right. that's cool. And like they always show that shot, like the crowd shots, and then they'll focus in on like one of the. One of the girls will wave at you. Exactly. Um, right. Crowd shot again. So yeah. yeah. Like to me, you know, and like I, you know, I'm sure that you know someone from Mexico could speak to this in a much more culturally sensitive way. But like, I always feel like that is just a difference in presentation. That like they want to show you that 
when you go to these shows, you have a good time. That the people there are having a good time. And that like the wrestling in some way is ancillary. It's like the cause of the good time. It's not like right. the reason you go, you know? Yeah, no, I, I definitely get that vibe. It's almost like a come to beautiful Arena Mexico kind of yeah, vibe. It's like a it's like a yeah, exactly. So, um, but yeah, so before we get into the actual Hall of Fame candidates, which we should probably do, yeah. um, what so what is your history at Lucha? Like, how did, we didn't really talk about this in the last episode. How did you go from Ring of Honor super fan to Lucha super fan? Um, so there's a there's a few things. Um, I mean, one when I was really into Ring of, excuse me, really into Ring of Honor. Um, in you know, one of the candidates we'll talk about, Mystico, was like a huge deal elsewhere. You know, and, was like, and people yeah. weren't around. Like, in, like he won Russia the fucking year, yeah. Observer, which is like it when you consider all the handicaps a Luchador has in the Observer right? Award. That's that's ridiculous. Yeah. Um. So like there was, there was like a a sort of cult of personality around Mystico at the time. And as I as I started to get less into the current Ring of Honor product, I just decided to like hitch my wagon to that and try and get into it because mm-hmm. um, for whatever reason, like, I mean, I, I loved all the Japanese stuff that I had seen time, but like, um, I just wanted to do something different and like I, you know part of it is probably like hipsterism in some way <laughs> that like like one of the reasons i liked ring of honor was that i could tell people that i liked something that was like quote unquote underground or whatever um you know like off the beaten path and i felt like i felt like i could still be a wrestling hipster if i if i started enjoying lucha um and then i also felt like when i started watching lucha and I started getting into the stuff that was being recommended by people on DVD-VR, uh, whose opinions I really respected at the time and still do. Um, and then like uh, Segunda Kaida, like Matt D and Phil Schneider and people like that, um, who really uh, were, you know, had I had similar taste to me um, and wrote really eloquently, um, were putting out like a lot of Lucha stuff that, um, I really enjoyed because I I liked that like brawl heavy style that was um, still part of the Mexican independent scene at that time. Like um, Black Terry uh, had like a few really really good years after I stopped watching Ring of Honor and like I got really into it. Um, so I just think that like it was a it was an issue of timing and like wanting something else um, and like wanting to. I have that collector's mentality that I think a lot of people in this in like wrestling or third culture do um and so I like wanted to collect knowledge of lucha you know like and and sort of uh find things there um so I I you know I I ate my vegetables uh (laughs) um but then I I found the things in lucha that I that I really enjoyed um and there were guys that like uh you know that I'll 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 shout out on this podcast, like, um, uh, who was on DVD VR for a long time and, and is on Twitter and has a couple really oh, great. Sorry, you, dropped, you like dropped off when you said his name. Oh, Chris Zellner. Okay. <laughs> like, um, yeah. yeah. Um, so like he, he was immensely helpful in, in, you know, my Lucha fandom. He's a guy who is exceptionally knowledgeable about Lucha and Lucha history. Same with Fredo Esparza. 
who, uh, uh, you know, is another guy that's, um, he runs Lucha World. Uh, and then Cubs fan, obviously, um, three people that, that are invaluable resources uh, in, in the Lucha community. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're tremendously open for, for people who want to be fans and still are. Uh, so, like, if you have questions about Lucha or anything like that, um, you know, there's a bunch of people that are on the Internet that will help you learn. Um, yeah, still to this day. See, now, this was too early for you to discover the the true path to wrestling hipsterism now, which is sincerely defending and loving current WWE. <laughs> that, that is the true mark of the wrestling hipster in our circle now. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, like, Luch is not it's, – it's, that's just its own thing. But, like, the hipsters now, yeah. the ones who are right? like, It's like it, you, you can tell that in music, too, that there's, like, there's that uh, – that group of people who like like really obscure punk music, but then are like, but I'm also like really into Taylor Swift, you know, or like, <laughs> like, um, uh, yeah. So I, I feel like I, if if Ed Blair listens to this podcast, he'll 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 get mad at me because I I just described him to a T, but it wasn't meant as a shot to Ed Blair. Uh, okay, Ed Blair, whoever that is, we're very yeah. sorry. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Uh. The, the the hamster thing is is interesting. I don't I don't know what I thought I was doing because at the same exact time you were doing that, I was just like, I'm just gonna like spend all my energy on Dragon Gate and this promotion. I basically I guess I already had these promotions that I already was watching anyway. Right. When when I was at the end of Ring, like by the time Ring of Honor is over, I'm already like super into Dragon Gate. I, like Ring of Honor is over for, over for me, I should say. Not over. Ring of Honor is still going. But... Ring of Honor is dead. As soon as I got out of it, like that's it. No. <laughs> like when, when Ring of Honor was over for me, around, like almost around the exact same time, it was basically over for you. Yeah. Um, like I was already super into Dragon Gate. I was still pretty into Noah, although that was around the time it started going down. But then that's why I started getting into New Japan, and then you know, everything, everything, DDT, and everything kind of went from there. But yeah, I mean, it's just like. I guess because I already had that thing I was into, it never was like, well, what am I going to find now? It's just like, well, now I can watch even more of this stuff. Was there basically... was a period uh, where I was like searching, actively searching for like the next thing that I wanted to be into, where I watched a lot of Hustle. Uh, that was probably <laughs> the closest that I got to like to devoting myself to Japanese wrestling. So, have you uh, do you get annoyed sometimes with just all the Japanese wrestling? Like, because I I feel like that must be annoying if you're not into Japanese wrestling. Like, how fucking just fixated on it like our circle of wrestling fandom is well you know i uh i mean i think the wonderful thing about twitter is that you can create like an echo chamber you, you know uh but like no the, the answer is no because like i am this is gonna sound really cheesy but like we spend so much like uh, mental energy on on wrestling which is like an inherently a terrible thing to spend mental energy on because like it always disappoints you right but like i am genuinely and tremendously overjoyed whenever there's a good new japan match even if it's not my thing because it makes my friends happy mm. like that makes sense you know like honestly like the 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 kenny omega okada matches that i've watched are fine like i i I see why people enjoy them. They are not my cup of tea. Um, like, but when they happened and like I had friends that were that were 
you know, for, for lack of a better term, marking out over them. Like, yeah. I want wrestling to uh, elicit genuine reactions in people. And I want wrestling fans to focus on the way that it makes us feel and not quarter hour television ratings or <laughs> I um, like, you know, who's taking photographs backstage with who, you know? Yeah. And like, if, if, if Japanese wrestling is making people feel that way, then Japanese wrestling is, is fucking awesome, you know? So, yeah, I mean, the, the Okada, the Okada Omega thing, it's not, not my bag either, really. Like, I mean, okay, that I, I, the highest, I, I still went like four and a half on it, which, you know, compared to other people, though, it feels like that's, that's saying that wasn't my thing. That's like compared, two stars less. I you know, know, it's like, right. But like, I mean, I think that, you know, I went four and a half, four, Four and, a, four, and a, four and a half, four and a half, four and a half, I think. Yeah. I'm trying to remember my own star range. I think I gave them all, maybe I gave the last one four and a quarter. I don't know. Yeah, you know what? I think I gave the last one four and a quarter because I was so annoyed by this one spot where like, uh, I don't know, I, I think it was Okada was like selling forever and then they just suddenly had a chop battle for no reason. <laughs> but it was like, why are you not just like, his neck is destroyed and you're just going to start like, let's have a chop battle now. It's like, it was like very annoying to me. But I I told like if people really want to say it's the best series of all time and all that stuff like I'm ha- like you said I'm happy that people are having that reaction. Yeah, you know um, I like it's it's good that that so often I find as fans like fandom in wrestling can be very performative in some ways like yeah. as is evidenced by um, some of the people who like really enjoy WWE. You know like I um I you know for lack of a better term people have gimmicks you know and like. I, I, if people are genuinely enjoying those matches, then that's, that's awesome. That's, that's all we should want out of wrestling. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, so like that was, uh, I, I totally, that's, that's a cool way of looking at it. That's not the answer I would have, I'm sure there are other people. I mean, I know there are, there are other people just annoyed by how much press New Japan specifically has gotten this year. Sure. But, but like, you know. I mean, I, like, you really like, having a great fucking year. Like, I get it, but like, if you look at it from like at, at any like metric, like as far as like, like I again, I was in those crowds for the G one, and like, these people really are like fucking just going insane for these wrestlers. Like right. on a level, I am not, I've not seen this since like the fucking ad, like going. I went to shows in the Attitude Era. And it's yeah. the closest I've ever seen. Sure. Like this is, we're in a sumo hall and like 10,000 people during Kenny Omega and Tetsuya Naito in the G1 final. Like these are people fucking ready to jump out of their seats and like charge the fucking ring. Yeah. They're so into their guy. Like the Omega fans and the Naito fans, just like I, I saw women cry. I saw <laughs> women in Bullet Club shirts fucking crying because Kenny Omega did not win the G1 final. And yeah. I saw other people like hugging each other and like, just so happy that Naito won that G1 final. Like, that's not whatever you think about, like, you know, the match quality or blah, blah, blah. Like, people are really into Naito, Omega, Okada, Tanahashi, I think to a lesser extent of Bushi. Like, these these guys are fucking rock stars right now. Oh, yeah. With that fan sure. base. So, I mean, like, like you know, the, the, yeah. I, I mean, and like, you know, I, I'm going to have to go back. Like I, I feel it is like my obligation to go back and watch a lot of the, the um, heavily lauded stuff, you know? So like I have not watched any of the G1, but like mm-hmm. I, I, someone at the end of the year will, will, I will request like, give me your top five matches from G1 and I will go back and I will rewatch them. 
I'm, yeah, I mean, I, to me, to me, it's like Naito. You, you really have to see Naito Ibushi, and then you really have to see the last three nights, yeah. the main event of each one. But then there's some other stuff too. But like, yeah. I will, I will say that, like, uh, and again, like, I don't, I don't get annoyed at New Japan fans. I will say that I do roll my eyes slightly when, like, we're in the the VOW Slack channel or wherever. Or like, oh, like through through five days of the G one, I have forty eight <laughs> seven star matches. True, I mean, I mean, even I'm like again, and like I, I probably have, I did have like one, I had one legitimate five star match on the first night, but then I, I hear all these people like you saying, you know, I, I shout out, we might as well just say it, shout out to Dylan Justin, <laughs> like I think had like, had something like uh, you're exaggerating, but to be clear, you're not exaggerating that much. <laughs> Yeah. Like there are a lot. People had a lot. People really, really, really loved this. G- and I have to say, like, I'm you know, I'm being honest. Like the G1, it was not close to my favorite G1, or especially not even of this run. Like yeah. I actually thought the G1 itself was, you know, just okay until the until the very end. Like yeah. the last three nights, I think were as good as any last three nights of a G1. But but I'm also heavily biased because the only one I was fucking there for. Right, right, right. But um, but yeah, but like the rest of the G one, it was fine. I, I didn't think it was like anything that special. Um, but the year New Japan having is having a special. But we're not here to talk about New Japan. We're here to talk about the Lucha Hall of Fame. Yeah. So we can get into that, which we still haven't done yet. Um, okay. So the very uh, first candidate, Mister Blue Panther. Uh, I'm just gonna read off some of their recent, some of the guys' recent results going back to 2010. Yeah. So to to recap, you need sixty percent of the ballot. That's correct. Sixty percent. Sixty percent to get in. Uh, are you a voter, by the way, or no? I am not a voter. I you really uh, should be for Mexico. Yeah, I think that uh, I I don't know who the the Mexico voters are. I I I will come out and say it. Like I emailed Dave last year, I think, saying like, hey, like here's a link to all the stuff I've written about Mexico, like. Uh, I think that I should be a voter, and I I did not get a response, which I like. I don't take personally or anything. I'm sure like, you'll hear. I'm but from what I understand from people, like you'll hear back like three years from now. <laughs> yeah, like, right now. yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh, there, there are other guys like um, from what I understand, uh, Fredo Esparza is also not a voter, and uh, Ruben Juarez, who's on the ballot this year, is on the ballot solely because of a biography that Fredo wrote on Lucha World. So, like, <laughs> if a guy can get somebody on the ballot, he should probably get a vote. Yeah, so that's pretty crazy. He, should, he deserves a vote before me, I think. <laughs> yeah. But, so, all right. So, you need 60% to get in. Here's Blue Panthers results. 2010, you get 33%. Then 40. Back down to 30. 41. 28 in 2014. But then way back up to 40 in 2015. And last year, 50%. So, tell Blue Panther, you know, it's a guy I've heard the name of. I don't know why, but I I would not have figured he was a heel until I read about him. Like apparently he was a, he was a famous heel, which is interesting. I I don't know why. Like when I see the name, I would not have guessed. But yeah, tell us about Blue Panther. Yeah, he he did have a run as heel. Um, you know, and I think that he he got over as a Rudo a lot. But like now, especially you know, he's sort of in this like maestro class where where he's cheered as like a a legend. You, you know, he's right. um, like Ric Flair kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh. But Panther, Panther, I mean, Panther should get in. He is, he is a, uh, I think a tremendous candidate. Um, and I hope that he continues to to get above 
50 percent uh, to stay on the ballot and he should oh, get so he, is he, the, he is he the, oh, that's a good point so is he the only guy that has to get at least 50 percent to stay on the ballot this year i do not i think viano three also has to get okay 50%, um but i, I, I do know. we did the podcast uh, that's my fault as a host i totally forgot about that thing that's but, um I mean. yeah the 50 percent thing where like once you've been about i think it's like 15 years yeah like you have to get at least 50 percent to stay on so hopefully he does yeah he got exactly 50 last year right Uh, um but i I don't know if that's the case and that's why he got a bump or if people are just finally like you know what he's good um but (laughs) so there's a few things that i want to that i want to talk about like one of the things that i have tried to do i guess tonight like in my notes um is is maybe create some like metaphors or, or touchstones for people to to get some contact um you know if panther this is maybe like a bit of a labored one but like i view panther almost like taue if taue was clearly a draw as a single star which would mean he should be getting get like on like that would be automatic I right think. yeah so like there are guys in panther's a, you know, uh, as peers, like, um, you know, uh, Negro Casas, uh, Elia DeSanto, like, um, that are clearly better candidates than Blue Panther, in my opinion. You know, I mean, there's probably guys out there that say that's not true. But, I mean, and both of those guys are already in. You know, uh, Negro Casas went in 96. I think Santo went in in 97. Um, but, uh, you know, and Atlantis has gone in, too. You could say he's a bit younger. But, um but so, like, there are guys that he is behind that are already in the Hall of Fame. Um, so you could say that he was never, like, the top dog, which is true. But he, was ne- he wasn't, like Taui was, like, completely overshadowed, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. He had runs on top. He drew as a single star. Uh, like, he had, uh, a, he had a match in 94. Uh, against um, uh, Solar, who was wrestling as El Mariachi at the time, that's like one of the better matches in Mexico in the '90s. That was—it's probably my favorite match in the world in 1994. Um, he had uh, that was a big draw. Uh, he drew hugely in um, in a mask versus hair match against Art Bar, um, mm. uh, which uh, you know that was like a was it a double turn? Uh, no, no, no. That's um, that was later. Okay. That was the when worlds collide, right? Um, yeah, I just I I I know that I I read that he had a double turn at Love Machine. Uh-huh. So maybe that was it. Maybe I'm yeah. maybe I'm uh, getting confused, which is entirely possible. <laughs> um, but like, so I mean that that was a you know that really really drew um the match where he lost his mask uh. Uh, against one of the Beatos is is like a tremendous tremendous match. Um, like all of these were were like big draw? draws, you know. Did, did, uh, the, did the match match against Falano draw? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, although it was interesting because like uh, people did not expect him to lose his mask. Like I think going in, you know, people would have put um, Blue Panther as like a heavy favorite, you know. Um, so it was sort of just like one of those weird like you know sort of fluke victories. He clearly wanted to lose his mask. Um, I think, you know, and we'll talk about this maybe with some other candidates as well, but like, I think one of the things that sort of hurts him, because even though he's still, you know, a pretty good worker, like he had uh, a hair match um, this year against Sam Adonis, you know, 
um, like which like main event at a random a random CMLL show, not like a huge show, but like a you know a Arena Mexico, you know. Um, but like he can still sort of work, you know, like pretty well. Um, and but he looks old, you know, and he looked old when he took off his mask, you know. Yeah. And I think that there's like there's a an aesthetic block for a lot of people with uh with lucha where like you have this guy who's got this amazing look uh like the blue panther mask is is like a tremendously famous mask and an awesome looking mask you know and then you take it off and he's just this like random dude that like looks like he's cut his forehead a bunch in his mid 40s you know <laughs> like and uh it, so hurting the mask for, hurt him you think hurting the mask hurt him as a candidate I think losing the mask hurts him as a candidate, you know, because I think that for people who don't have the context of his whole career and are like watching modern stuff, they see him without the mask and they just see this like old looking guy, you know? And I think that if you're watching modern stuff by him, that you, you, you see a guy that like doesn't aesthetically look like a wrestler who can still go, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe people who are watching modern stuff feel as though, um you know he he's not a candidate like he doesn't pass the eye test you know um but if you go back you know and you you watch his early 90s stuff like he's a he's a barn burner of a worker i think that as the the you know observer hall of fame like yeah i think you had this discussion with rich on some level like because there are less people at this point that are like slam dunk draws it's coming and like i think as the voter pool turns over too like it's becoming a work rate hall of fame you know yeah which is uh, always going to happen because that's the direction of professional wrestling in general sure it's, a, yeah. it's an increasingly narrow bunch of nerds who like yeah. like no one's over to the general fucking public so right. you know it's going to be like that's what that's the stuff where we go back to to circle all the way back to the randy orton argument like a guy like randy orton if they pushed him hard enough in a different era, should have been able to get in because he was over at that level. He would have had to right. be over that level to stay a main eventer that long. So yeah. that's like someone like Quentin sees that and sees like, you know, oh, well, he was a main eventer for all these years. He must've been a big enough draw, but nobody's a draw now instead of certainly other than like Cena. And so it becomes, you know, was he fucking good? And with Orton, the answer is <laughs> he was okay. Yeah. You know, like so that's so like like that's always how it's gonna end up. It's gonna end up a work rate hall of fame. Yeah. And, you know, and you're like Dylan Hales, guys like that fucking hate that because it's so you know, it's such a subjective thing. Yes. Like Dylan like Dylan was talking Dylan was asking me after all these questions afterwards about like, you know, how good of a worker does someone have to be to get into your hall of fame? How many years does he have to be a great worker? Like all this stuff, and it's like, well, everybody's gonna have a different criteria. It, it might help if Dave actually set out a criteria and be like, Okay, if someone's like 10 best in the world in your opinion for five years that should be enough to get in right because you don't have that kind of 40 list i guess sort of accomplishes that but that's a flawed thing too you know yeah but um well like i'm off on a tangent there but no you're fine (laughs) Uh, but like you know uh i think that as the if people did their homework and like went back and watched blue panther from the earliest footage we have through now they will see um a a guy who excelled in singles matches and really elevated ta- uh, like trios and tag matches. Um, 
and that's a rarity. Uh, you know, a guy who excels in both, you know? Yeah. Uh, like I was listening to a podcast from a while ago and Fredo Esparza was talking about him. And uh, Fredo, you know, said that he's like Arn Anderson if Arn Anderson had like top level drawing high profile singles. Yeah, which again, that would be, he'd be a no brainer. Right. Slam dunk Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. Um, so like, but as the, as the Hall of Fame skews more towards work rate, if people go back and rewatch Blue Panther stuff, I think that he is a guy that ages incredibly well. Um, I think that you can look at him as a draw on an individual basis. Like he's a guy that could pop a buy rate here and there. Was he ever a sustained drawing main eventer in Mexico? No, I don't think that you can make that argument. So is that so is that why people don't agree with putting is that his big flaw? Like is that if detractors if a detractor was here, if an anti Blue Panther person was here, is that what they're point to? I think that that's what they would say. That they would say that, like, without uh, that, he did not draw as a consistent main eventer without a Puestas match, like without a mask mm-hmm. or a hair match, you know. Um, gotcha. And I think that, um, I think that even if you grant that point, he gets in on work rate, and then I think that you could also make a strong case for his influence within the confines of Mexico as well. Um, mm. You know, he was a uh, a big progenitor of the modern maestro style, um, you know, like the sort of the return to the lucha mat work stuff, which was, uh, mm. you know, like out of vogue for a long time. So, and can I ask when, when did when did that catch on? Uh, that was that's a pretty modern thing. Like I would say, within the past decade or so, it's okay. come back. Because I was wondering if that was around the same time that like uh, the T2P was a thing, which was like two thousand two. Yeah, I mean, it probably was a bit after that when you really yeah. started to see it to see it come back. Because they made like um, a, they made a big that was the big gimmick for T2P, other than having the six sided ring, was that they were gonna uh, oh we're gonna do all these wacky old school lucha submissions. They called it like Lave, I think it was called. Huh. Yeah, um, so I mean the um, the uh, you know like the big guy that brought it back too, uh, and we'll talk about him later is Negro Navarro. Like he's also mm. a big part of that, um, but like. Uh, so, you know, maybe it was around, like, maybe I just, uh, didn't watch quite as much back then. So I don't know. And I, I have blind spots, certainly. Um, yeah. but, uh, it was Sky. You know, so that was like the big trainer. Yeah. Yeah. That guy's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that was the guy who was really training them on it. So, yeah. Um, so like, you know, and then, uh, also like Blue Panther in, in his area, um, uh, was responsible for training a lot of the women workers, mm. uh, uh, so you could say that he has like a, uh, you know, if not like you know influence uh, necessarily, but like certainly has a tree within Mexico that I think that you could point to. Well, know? ever since ever since Ultimate Dragon got in, that was supposedly a big factor in him getting in. It was, was uh, you know, people were saying the trainee stuff. So like that should always yeah. you can make that argument for a lot of people. I think certainly, you know, and I think also like Mexico, like. Which, by the way, you have to view Mexico a bit differently, right? Like, you're never going to have the same influence from a Mexican candidate that you are from a Japanese candidate or an American candidate, I don't think, you know? Like, so, you, you, you know, you can view it, like, you can say that, like, they were immensely influential in their own country, you know? And I think that should still count for something. Yeah, well, it definitely should, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's Blue Panther. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about him, or 
No, I mean, I would say, uh, you know, watch his stuff against Elijo de Santo, watch his stuff against Art Barr, watch his stuff against El Mariachi, and I think that you will, and then watch his stuff from more modern times, you know, the, the hair match against Negro Casas, the hair match this year against Sam Adonis, and you'll see a guy that has found ways to stay a top-level worker despite losing athleticism, and I think that should be enough. Mm. All right. So next we have now. I'm gonna again for for I did a, I did a lot of reading on the singles guys. I didn't really do any reading on the trios. It's like it's hard enough for me to to figure out about the these singles wrestlers, let alone when there's three of them. So this That's is fine. all you all you hear. Uh, okay. The trio of Brazo de Oro, Brazo de Plata, and El Brazo, and also yeah. I can't speak Spanish, everybody. So I apologize for that too. <laughs> I warned everybody on Twitter. It was so it's so funny. My uh, my girlfriend does not speak Spanish, but you know, grew up around Spanish and knows the language. She, um, I told her about I was doing this episode, and the look on her face at the prospect <laughs> of me trying to pronounce these names was uh, was pretty hilarious. And then uh, as I was like trying to say a name in front of her, and then we'll get to it in a second. She's basically <laughs> like, "You're pronouncing the R like." like the RA, like the Japanese RA. That's <laughs> what I'm sitting here thinking about how to pronounce. And like when I'm really trying hard to pronounce a, a, like a, a RA sound, I just, I was trying so fucking hard to learn that Japanese RA. Yeah. Cause for anyone who doesn't know anything about Japanese, like the R is the hardest fucking sound to learn. Cause it has, it's really not like our, it, the best way I can describe it. It's like trying to say like, like Ra and La at the same time, basically yeah. like La so, which again, that's still terrible. So I can't speak <laughs> Japanese either. I want to make it clear, but but for some reason, it sounds like I'm me trying to speak Japanese when I'm trying to speak Spanish. That's so fair. there you go. Yeah. But anyway, so this trio of the what the the Brazos, Brazos. I guess, yeah, um, they had 16 percent in 2014, jumped to 33 in 2015. Last year had 29 percent. Um, so who are they, and what is their case? All right. So. Uh... You know, I, I, like this is another thing that that Rich and you sort of talked about when you were talking about um, the the American candidates. It's always a bit odd when you have guys as a as a tag or as a trio, right? Like because you don't know, are you voting on all of their single stuff combined? <laughs> are you voting on just them as a as an act? You know, um, and the the Brazos are interesting because like they. They certainly at some point are overshadowed by Braza de Plata by or Super Porky by his singles career, um, which happened like after they unmasked and you know uh, he he became like a a big draw as a as a comedy worker. Um, yeah, again, this is the guy even I've heard of. Yeah, um, and uh, you know, and it's similar to to Blue Panther maybe where. Like Super Porky at this point is like five five and four hundred pounds, you know, <laughs> and like has like good comedic timing, but like doesn't have matches that you know you would say like, oh, these are great work rate matches. So I think that people who haven't gone back and watched a lot of the Brazos trio stuff, um, like maybe think that like, oh, they're just like an over comedy act. Like maybe people think it's like Big Daddy or something or they're just like the cultural phenomenon or, or whatever. Um, mm. But uh, but they, in their time, were a tremendous work rate team. Um, I think that they are really responsible 
for the trio style in Mexico becoming prominent in the modern era, which like uh, them and the Missioneros, who we can talk about in the, the same breath, I guess, like I think that they should be going together. They're they're tied together inextricably. Um, like if like if you watch any Mexican show now, like half of it is trios matches, right? Like it, you know, they're they're the Rock and Roll Express. Like those two teams are responsible for how trios matches are built, how they're booked, like influence, I think, off the charts. Like, well, then that, I mean, that sounds like it. That sounds like it should be a slam dunk again. Yeah, again, uh, you know, and this is the thing with the Lucha Ballot. Like, I would say that there's probably like, what, there's 13 guys on this ballot. Like, yeah. I'm going to make a slam dunk case for 11 of them, you, you yeah, know? Yeah, like that's, so like, it's, a, it's the fucking mirror universe version. Basically, you have America with nothing. Yeah, you have Mexico with like you're saying, like you're saying eleven slam dunks, and you have Japan like the, the somewhere in between. Yes, yeah. very. And, and then yeah, I, I mean, who the, the fuck the, knows the, by the, the Mexican ballot, like uh, the people that are voting that you know you talk to or you hear from, they're like, we just want a couple of people to go in so there can be new names on the ballot. You, you know, yeah. like <laughs> no one's gonna get in. You you know, um, it's like the Three Stooges where they're all trying to go through <laughs> the floor at the same time. Well, that, that, that fucking, ever see that Simpsons episode? Like, that's how the Three Stooges. Yeah, the Mr. Burns. <laughs> where, like, they're, all the germs are trying to get through the door. It's yeah. basically the Lucha Ballot, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, they're, the, the, the Brazos as a team were, are great. Like, and I think that they're a team that, if you go back and you watch any of the stuff where they were masked, they lost their mask in like 1989 or, or um, 1989 or 1990, somewhere around there. But like any of the stuff before then where they're masked that's on tape, like there's some stuff from Japan, there's some stuff um, from Mexico. Like they... Where did they work in Japan? Do you remember? I don't remember. Okay, I just wondered. Um, <laughs> but uh, like they are are really, really great and like have tremendous work rate. And, like, even Super Porky, who got, like, hugely fat um, in the end of his career because that was his gimmick, yeah. uh, like, is, is like, absolute force in the ring. Like, all of these guys could go. Um, and, you, you know, I mean, like, they, they had a match against the Vianos that was, like, one of the most famous mass matches of all time. Um, you know, like, people still talk about it. Uh, they did, like, there's a couple people on this belt that talk about uh, that like uh, did a lot of work for UWA, and I think that again for people like UWA was a short-lived promotion in Mexico, but like while it was there, it was white hot. So I think that people like see a lot of work for UWA, and they're like, oh, like they were just working some independent. They must not have been a draw, but like mm-hmm. they were a big-time draw. Uh, like in that in that time period in that company, like so. Can you give them, can you give background for the listeners? Like what what UW I know was like early nineties, right? It was before like, that. We can look. Let me look it up. We'll see how. Long I remember I, I saw I, it came up at some point in one of the in some one of the other ones I was reading. I thought it was early nineties, but I could be wrong. Maybe that was like the very end of it. The, yeah, and I mean AAA started in the early nineties. Okay. Um, but UWA. Uh, it Not looks just... like, so it was 74 to 95, Okay, uh, 75 to 95. So like less than 20 years, you, right. know, you could probably say that it was prominent for, for 
you know, less than that, obviously. Gotcha. Um, but but, but, but I mean, I, it, it came up in some of the ones I was reading too for like yeah. early nineties. So yeah, it was around, it was around for a while. I mean, that's, 20 years ain't nothing. No, it's not nothing. But so, like at the same time, like, you know, people know the name CMLL, they know the name AAA, yeah. right? Uh, yeah. so they may think UWA is just like, you know, it'd be like working ring of honor or something, you know, which wasn't yeah. really the case, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, what, what, so can can you? Well, this is going to come up again on one of the other ones. What yeah. was like promo Azteca? Uh-huh. Oh, that was only that was around only like a few years, right? But it was kind of a big deal while it was there, because it yes. was uh it was the one the WCW wrestlers worked. Yeah, it was Vampiro. The, yeah, I think uh, it was like Conan promotion or something. Exactly. Or yeah, I mean, and that that was around for like three years, right? I think. Uh, yeah, I remember I, I was when I was Morris Guerrero owned it, right? Like, okay, um, yeah, I think that's great. Uh, I was reading old. I was reading old mid '90s observers for a while, <laughs> and yeah. that and that and promo Aztec it came up a lot. Right. So I was just wondering. I think it was like an offshoot of of AAA, basically. Yeah, uh, like it, it 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 was. I think it was named after a TV network, right? Aztec. Yeah. Which is so. similar to to how AAA started because like yeah. uh, which we need to get into. Um, but interesting. Interesting story, nonetheless. But uh, yeah. But yeah. So like the. The Brazos are, are really pretty tremendous. I think that the Brazos um, really transfer to an American audience more than a lot of other luchadors, too, mm-hmm. um, which maybe makes me surprised that they don't have as much support on the ballot. Maybe because, like, the aside from the Vianos match, like, I don't think that there's, like, a trios match that you can point to as, like, a five match. Like that. Gotcha. Um, so, like, I think that they were all genuinely good workers, but I don't think that you could, they're not someone that I, you could sit there and say like, all right, like, you know, watch these five matches and you'll get why they were stars, you know? Yeah. They were just I mean, over, they, what? Well, I would say, but like, it, so, the, so you can't get it right. Like in a snappy, but like, if you could just describe it as, um, like you were saying, like they without them there'd be no treat like that they set the standard yeah. for trios matches. I mean that that honestly should be enough to get you into a Hall of Fame. Right. Yeah, like a hundred percent. A hundred times yeah. out of a hundred, I think. Yeah. But like them and them and Missioneros, uh, you know, are in the same boat. You know, I uh like I love Super Porky and like I, I genuinely feel like you can't necessarily separate them. And maybe that's maybe they're splitting the ballot. Like maybe they're splitting the ballot for each other in some ways, but like um, Missioneros, I think has a, a more obvious work rate case because I think that you have three guys, um, uh, especially Negro Navarro, like uh, that have fringe hall of fame cases as singles workers. Yeah. Like I wouldn't put any of them in necessarily, but like getting someone, getting Negro Navarro, or, or uh, you know, Signo or Texano on the ballot, like, would would not be weird to me, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. You know, El Brazo is is not getting on the ballot by himself, you, you know? Yeah. Like, so, um, I think like the 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 metaphor I came up with for uh, Los Brazos um, was the the bushwhackers <laughs> in some way. Um, where like they started out as this sort of like brawly work rate team, you know, yeah. um, but then like as their careers went on and as they, as they broke down a little bit, like they became more 
uh, like entertainment group comedy workers, you know, and they, they relied really heavily on Super Porky's charisma. Um, like back when they were in CMLL uh, in the like, they, CMLL was really good about doing like vignettes and skits and stuff. And like some of their skits, which are on tape are hilarious. Like there's this one um, that uh, like, uh, they're all, they're in their beds. Like they're in three beds next to each other in pajamas, like sleeping. And uh, they, they like show what they're dreaming about. And like um, uh, Brazo de Oro is dreaming about being a rock star. And El Brazo is dreaming about like being an accountant. And then they get to Super Porky and he's dreaming about like skipping uh, wrestling practice to go get a torta. And then, like, his brothers come in and see him complaining and start beating him up. Like, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, so, like, I mean, they were they were really, like, fun, tremendous team that is hurt by, like, the stuff that grew the best and is the most well-regarded by wrestling magazines not being on tape. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so it seems like a case. What would the case against them be? They're just not... They, they don't have the matches, you know? Okay, yeah. Uh, they're sort of the opposite of Blue Panther. You know, they're tremendously influential, uh, but they just, you you can't build a case for them based on matches without using Porky's singles matches. And yeah. like, even Porky's singles matches are uh, like good for what they are, but they're not work rate classics. Like they're, yeah. they're gotcha. the other part of wrestling, you know? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah. So um, moving on to the next one, which is Caristico slash Mystico. Right. So I'm really interested in hearing your opinion on this because, like, as a very casual observer, I mean, like, when I saw that he only got, what did he get last year, 30%? I, think I haven't heard. Is this his yeah. first year on the ballot? I don't know. No, no, no. He was on the ballot last year. Yeah. He, got, he got exactly 30%. Yeah. Okay. Like, when I, like, when I saw that, like, my fucking eyes popped out of my head. It is because, like. Okay. So I'm glad you, we, so we can, we can, uh, we don't, we don't have to beat around the bush. Because, like, yeah. when I, like, that's. He was even again. I know nothing about Lucha, and even I know like he was one of the biggest fucking draws in the world for like what a two year period. Two a longer three? than that, yeah, like a yeah. six year period. If you're, is... if you're drawing fucking sellouts everywhere in your fucking country for yeah. years and years and years, how the fuck are you not in the Hall of Fame? I yeah. don't like. I don't understand. He should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. He should have been a first ballot just on his just on his drawing power alone. So there's a couple things that I that I like to bring up. Uh, in the in the Mystico case, you know, and we'll just call him Mystico for for ease, you know. Yeah. No, we're not talking about the second one, everybody. Just the first yeah, one. Or Mystico Uno. Um, <laughs> so, um, like a couple just eye popping statistics. One, like we should appreciate how tremendously difficult it is for a luchador or a Mexican wrestler to win the the Fez Flair Award in, in the Observer. Yeah, I, we've talked about this before. I mean, it's yeah. it's ridiculously hard. Yeah. If uh, I don't know what your feelings on AJ Styles are, but like uh, Mystico and AJ Styles are the only people to have won that award to not be in the Hall of Fame currently. Yeah. And I think that AJ will eventually get in. You know, AJ probably will get in. AJ has a worse case than. I uh, yeah. I mean, he doesn't have any drawing at all to speak of. Really. Yeah. I mean, the best drawing you can point to him for is. Um, he did okay as IWGP champion, but he also bombed as right. IWGP champion. So I mean, you know, um, 
The other thing that I like to point out with Mystico, and I forget what year it was. It was either 2006 or 2007. There is a year where Mystico in CMLL drew more 10,000-person gates than John Cena. Yeah, that's fucking insane. I've heard that one before. That's right. really crazy. So, like, if you have a guy that, like, is a bigger draw in uh, than John Cena, who is probably, like, the biggest draw in the, of the past 20 years in wrestling. Yeah. And, like, and, and and by the way, has the fucking WWE machine behind him, yeah. not fucking CMLL. Right. It's a pretty big difference there, WWE and CMLL. Um, so, like, let's just, like, let's let's boil this down to what it is. Uh, he is being punished for the run of Sin Cara, right? Like, mm-hmm. the, the most visible run that he had is, is a, an abject failure, right? And, like, yeah. and if you rewatch it, like, there's some fine stuff in there. He just didn't perform. I, I like the like, Sin Cara versus Sin Cara feud. Remember at the time? Why, yeah, it was, that was pretty fun. He had some tags with Ray that are pretty good. You know, like, there's some okay stuff, you know? Um, but, like, so here's what I'll offer as a defense to that. Dave Meltzer recently either answered it on Twitter or on, on his, you know, the radio show. Someone asked if... Um, if Nakamura had had his WWE run before he came up for for his Hall of Fame induction, would should he have been punished? Like, should it have affected him negatively? And Dave hummed and hawed, and then eventually said, "No, I feel like he's still a Hall of Famer." <laughs> <laughs> so, ignore like if you accept that at face value. First of all, time out. Yeah. We can't let that go. If Nakamura had the WWE one before he got before the Hall of Fame voting, he would not be in the Hall of Fame right now. Let's, let's not beat around the bush. He right. would not be a Hall of Famer. Like that's not even this isn't like a um a a, a mystery. He just he would not be in the fucking Hall of Fame. I agree. And now, uh, JR, by the way, last time did not have a webcam. This time we do have a webcam, so he can see how fucking animated and like <laughs> worked up I get while I'm recording this fucking show. Like it's I do fun. everything with my hands. But yeah. yeah, I mean, like just fucking. No, he would not be a Hall of Famer yeah. if he if he had this WWE if he had this fucking run of jumping to Jinder Mahal for four straight months in <laughs> eatless fucking two star matches. No, he would not be in the in the fucking Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame. Right. But anyway. So and no, and, and by the way, he shouldn't be anyway. So right. I, I also agree that he should not be anyway. Um, <laughs> but like so, but if that's if that's if that's the standard that is set. For the Hall of Fame, like ir- irrespective of if you agree with that or not, then it should not count. The Sin Cara run should not count against Mystico, right? By the way, can we say right now, Sin Cara's WWE run better than Nakamura's so far? I, I would 100% agree. I can't even think. I would also I say, I would also <laughs> say that Sin Cara's run. So like he sold a bunch of masks, didn't he? There's more than Nakamura's done. Yeah, he he's a big merch seller. I mean, yeah, um, but. Like, so here's the other thing about Sin Cara's run, and it speaks to influence. And, like, you can say that this is a negative influence. I don't necessarily agree. But, like, it, it certainly speaks to influence. Like, the, the current day NXT program and the way that the WWE develops wrestlers is due 100% to Sin Cara going to the main roster immediately and not getting, like, six to eight months of seasoning on the, on the Largo loop, as the cool kids call it. Um, yeah. but like, that's a good point. 
you know, like whether you think that's bad, like whether you think that that's viewing it as a failure, that is a tremendously influential piece of wrestling history that he holds on to. Um, <laughs> and then, like, lastly, if you, like, after he came back to Mexico, he has had good matches. Like, he's never been a super worker, but, like, he's still, like, a, a fine wrestler that, that you could put in, like, in uh, the top of a card and people buy it. He's not going to bomb, you know? Like, Sky Team is super over in Mexico right now. Like, he has good matches against Volador. He has good matches against Ultimo Guerrero. Uh, like, his drawing uh, power was hurt, though, by the WWE run, right? Sure, his drawing power was hurt, but, like, he, he also, like, I think he hurts his own drawing power because he's a dick, uh. you know? Like, <laughs> but, but, like, you could say his drawing power is hurt, but they also haven't given an, him an opportunity to draw mm -hmm. as, like, a main player in CMLL or AAA. Since uh, how, did, how did the match with Ray do uh, in AAA? I think okay. Like, he did okay. stuff with Pero right before Pero died that was that was okay like i don't again like none of it's been positioned like near the top of a card to oh okay so like really, yeah i didn't know that yeah i would have guessed that the mystico versus ray mysterio thing would have been a, a, a main event for you but it wasn't yeah i don't think that it was ever like really uh like a big time thing but like i see but like again you know he probably aside from atlantis like he probably has the single most valuable mask in mexico right now mm. like so if if CMLL just decided to say, like, hey, like, uh, you know, Caristico versus literally anyone in <laughs> Mexico in an Apuestas match, like, he could, they, CMLL could book a match Caristico versus you in Arena Mexico, <laughs> and it would sell 18,000 tickets. <laughs> you know, like... I do, have, I do have a lot of hair to put on the line. You do have a lot of hair, too, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, like, it, you know, it's... Even though he hasn't like drawn on the level that he did draw like it, to say like there there's a lot of um potential energy as the as it goes you know like he could draw if if they put him in the position to draw um, just like you know he could have drawn an elite but like elite just popped out a million times in a row for a reason yeah um, but like he he is a you know a tremendous worker like you know since he came back like He's had good matches against Volador, who is probably my least favorite wrestler in the entire world right now. So, like, oh, wow. to, to me, that that works. But, like, a lot of people like, you know, Dave really loves Volador. So. I mean, yeah. I, I like him in New Japan, but I don't know yeah. anything about him in Lucha. So. He's just, like, so he's he's a guy that, like, uh, like he sleepwalks, you know? I, oh, okay. So he's yeah. he's Nakamura. Yeah, so, like, <laughs> if, you, if you watch him, and, like, he sleepwalks with the same spots. Too. so like if you watch him on a week-to-week -week basis like not only are you getting a lazy performance you're getting the same lazy performance yeah no i totally get it because i'm sure in new japan he's not doing that right I mean, yeah I can, tell you, I can tell you he's not yeah so, like he was uh, in, i think he's in best of super junior he's not he was not out there sleepwalking no yeah when he tries hard he's awesome but yeah so that, okay uh, that makes total sense then yeah um he's but like <laughs> yeah I will say, like, you know, I'll, I'll give an anti-Mystico argument outside of the Sin Carter run, uh, which I, you know, I feel, I feel like, you know, if you're, if you're going to vote on him because you've only seen Sin Cara or because, like, you, you know, you saw him botch a bunch of stuff in WWE, like, that's fine. Like, whatever. I don't, I, you know, I don't know. Like, let's be fair. You're a fucking idiot then. Yeah, sure. What are you doing? Yeah. Why do you have a vote? But, um, 
but like uh, i'll offer this as like a as a another maybe alternative and i think that it comes down to like a philosophical question in some way like the mystical push the initial mystical push before he went to wwe <clears throat> was like as perfect a push for a young wrestler as there ever has been it was like mm -hmm. they pushed him down people's throat and like it was clear from day one excuse me that he was going to be like a massive deal and a massive face but like he got over you know and so i think that there's a lot of people who think like oh well like it's like goldberg kind of yeah you put anybody in that position like you just push them super hard and they get over but like We've been shown time and time again that that is not the case. Like, it's really not. In any, yeah. in any fucking wrestling con, how many fucking, if, if it was as easy as uh, push this guy forever and he's over, I yeah. think, I think we'd be in a new time period with Roman Reigns right yeah, now. Exactly. Like call, yeah. him, call Vince up and ask him, hey, Vince, how easy is this? <laughs> Having a guy beat everybody. It's, yeah. it's not very easy. Yeah, I do think, like, I think a lot of fans, like, feel like wrestling is plug and play, right? Like, <laughs> It's just not, you know, and like, uh, like Mystico was pushed in a tremendously effective way, and he was coddled in a in a really good way. Like his undercard feuds before he became a main eventer were against people who could really work. Like Polino was like awesome, you know. Um, like fully, like do you remember? Is the was the Averno feud a big deal? I remember hearing about that. Yeah, yeah, the Averno feud was a huge deal. Like the stuff with Carito was a huge deal, but like. Every feud that he had, like Negro Casas, um, Ultimo Guerrero, like every feud he had was against people that he could learn things from on his way up the card. So like Makes he sense. got better before people's eyes and like kept winning and stayed over, you know? So like he was pushed tremendously and like he got over because of it. But he also got over because he was an electric performer, you know? Yeah. Uh, well, you need you ba you basically like need both most of the time. Sure. I mean, there's guys you get over who are so good they get over even with shitty booking. Yeah, like but, Daniel Bryan, right? Like, yeah, that's the one I, I thought of immediately too yeah. from recent history. But like, you know, if I I don't know, that seems it seems really bizarre to me to punish somebody for having strong booking behind them. Like, wow, sure. CMLL knew how to push a top AE face. So let's punish the top AE face. Then. It's really right. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't buy it. You know, yeah. um, but like. You know, I, I think that I think that he is a he is a tremendous case. You know, I think that he was like the to me, he is the last person. And, you know, not only for Mexico, but maybe all over the world that like had the buzz of somebody that you need to seek out, like maybe until Okada, realistically, mm. you know, like that was like. And it was harder back then. I mean, it's 2006, 2007. Like, he won the Fez Award in 2006, right? Like, that's 11 years ago. YouTube is a very different thing, you know? And, yeah. like, you, it was hard to watch matches of his, and people sought them out because he was such a big deal. You know? That, that should count for something, you know? I, I, I totally agree with you. I mean, that's the, only, that's the one where, like, again, it's a very casual observer slash more reader of Lucha and Watcher. Like yeah. That's the one where immediately it's like, why the fuck is this man getting 30%? It just doesn't make any sense. Sure. And I really do think it's more the Sin Cara thing than it is the, um, than it is anything. Because for people who don't know how the observer ballot works, like they, it, he tells you to vote on the categories you know only, but yeah. there's no enforcement of that. 
Yeah. So if I'm a guy, like it's basically self-enforcement to vote on whatever you're going to vote on. So I, I honestly think you have some people, you must have some people who really don't have any idea who know about as much as me or maybe less that are voting in the Lucha category and not voting for him. Cause Probably. I don't, I mean, I really don't understand how else like he should have been as close to, he, he's the biggest slam dunk on this entire ballot, I think, but I don't know. And it, like you have that many years drawing on top. Yeah. I just don't, I don't see any argument again. Yeah, I mean, like, honestly, like, I think you can just say, like, he outdrew John Cena in 2007. <laughs> like, like, okay, all right, you're in. Like, Yeah, it's really it's really ridiculous. Um, some trivia on him. He actually, did you know he worked for Michinoku Pro before he was Mystico? I did not. But yeah. I, I will say, sorry, I'll, I'll mention one more thing in regards to his oh. influence. There would not be Fantastic Mania without oh, yeah. him being so yep. open. Yeah. Like, that's Very huge, true. too. Right, like you can say that that is like a massive deal. I mean, we were we were. Ta- I think we only talked about this before we recorded, right? Who who won the? Or did we talk about it on the recording? Uh, I yeah, I think yeah, I think it was right before that. Maybe so, Mystico is Mystico is the former IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. I mean, he was a yeah. big fucking deal during his New Japan run. Like, I, I I honestly don't remember how good the matches were, considering they were against Tiger Mask Four. Probably not that good. But yeah, I'm sure they were fine, you know. Yeah. Like he's a fine wrestler, you know. It's, it's not, but, but I'm saying, like he and he got incredible. He got very over in Japan, like extremely yeah. over. So I mean, they not every luchador does that. So you know, plenty of them do. But he, I, I'd say he was even more over the most, especially, you know. Um, I mean, I guess he already had a reputation by then. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he was he was extremely over in Japan. I also say that like you can you can. I have no evidence for this, but like before he went to WWE, like he was working multiple shows a day. Like he was burning the candle at both ends, like to, to maximize the amount of money that he could make. Like there are yeah. stories that he worked four shows on a Sunday, you, you know, like, <laughs> and I think that like that probably had something to do with his performance in WWE that like maybe his body was starting to break down, you know, yeah. And, like, and he went there and like his, his you know like then it just sort not of all company, fell apart. that's not the company to go to if you're if your body's breaking down right I mean, that schedule that schedule is demanding and you know the in-ring style is probably as demanding as it's ever been sure it, like he probably thought it was going to be easier you know yeah. he's like oh shit like you know I, i'm working less dates maybe you know but like uh you know he had to learn to bump on his back the ring was probably much harder you know like and it, it probably just tore him up you know yeah, he, I mean, you know, he always looked like a guy to me that, that never looked comfortable in there. But again, yeah. like, you know, I, just why are you holding that against him? Like, I can't, like, a lot of people who are very successful in other places go there and fucking fail. We're seeing it right now with Shinsuke Nakamura. Sure. I mean, again, yeah. if you're, just because you're successful somewhere else does not mean you can go to this fucking, uh, I don't even know what to say about the company, this fucking backstage backstabbing fucking right. high school bullshit company yeah. and you know get get the certain writers behind you oh it's the wrong writer behind you oh yeah. well, we don't like it it's just it's just horseshit that company blaming somebody for failing in wwe is like i don't know blaming somebody for not being good at like swimming in a pool with electric eels it's just yeah. ridiculous right. yeah like you're just not gonna like, like we all knew what happened from like the first news story that came out, which was like directly after his signing and debut, he told someone higher up like that he just like would not learn English. They were like, You have to <laughs> learn English. And he's like, No, like I'm not doing that. <laughs> I mean, that was awesome. Yeah, but, but also, yeah, here's I mean, one last point, sort of a joke point, but like 
apparently around the time when he signed with WWE and debuted directly on the main roster without going to OVW at the time, I think like um, apparently the guy that really fought for him to debut directly. And like, it was his first big signing was triple H. Sounds like, yeah. Yeah. And so triple H like signed and then like, like forced this guy onto the main roster who immediately shit the bed. This, and was, like, this was right at the beginning, no, of his of him running talent relations, basically. Exactly. So, uh, like, like, for me, that's extra points of like, oh, like, <laughs> like, I know, but yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know, like, just fucking, if you're holding that against him, honestly, just like, stop voting on the Observer, Lucha Bala, and throw yourself in an active volcano because who fucking cares. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I I think he should be in. I you know I said that about everyone so far, but but like really like he, he's in the top the the top three of that ballot. I think maybe top four depending on you know what you look at. But um, yeah, he's he's amazing. You know he should really be there. Yeah. So that's Caristico slash Mystico. Um, I I agree. I mean I you know for all, what it's worth, I think he's a ridiculous slam dunk. Up next, and here's the one I was practicing on how to pronounce. <laughs> Cien Karas Karas? Okay. Cien Karas. See, my 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 uh my pr- pr- practice did not make perfect. That's all right. Um so it means it means hundred faces, by the way. If you didn't yeah. know that. There you go. Um so what what about Cien? This is another guy who's famous for being a heel, right? Yes. I think he's a famous heel. Like a he's tremendous still, heel. Tremendous yeah. heel. Or uh, Rudo, we should say. So like He's 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 also very close on the ballot. Am I correct in that? Last year he was. Um, oh yeah, I didn't read. I should do that. I totally forgot to do that. Yeah. yeah so he, um, twenty four percent in twenty ten, then thirty one, forty two, forty five. Then for the last three years, fifty four, fifty four, fifty eight. Yeah. So yeah, so he's, he's right just, there. He's, like, but like, probably right one there. or two more votes, and I think he gets in. You know. Mm-hmm. Um. So he's very similar to Mexico or to, to Mexico to Mystico <laughs> in. Uh, in 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 his case um it, he was a tremendous draw like um you know really just like absolute white hot draw all throughout um you know mexico he drew huge when triple a did um did shows in los angeles mm. uh, when you could probably like make a claim in the mid 90s that triple a was the best promotion in the world um, like more so than Mystico, I would say that he is a bad worker. Like everything that we wow. have to take for him is like, it, like he's not a good worker. He's like, he's like, um, like, uh, he's, he's a very much like junkyard dog, I guess. And that like, he's a guy who's a huge draw, uh, and like his candidacy in some ways is probably hurt by like you know dave doing reviews and like being the the major conduit for information and dave being like really negative about him in, in ring did, um, did he have did he have a fucking terrible name like junk food dog he did not have a terrible okay. name like junk food I, I i honestly believe that junk food dog is why junkyard dog is not in the hall of fame yeah i think if even if dave was about as negative without like such a catchy fucking negative nickname <laughs> yeah. i think our dog would be in the hall of fame but anyway yes. um but uh but so like you know it Again, you know, like Cien Karas, if you value drawing power as as one of these three pillars, like you should, like if you if you view it evenly, or even if you weight it 
in the because there's so many fewer true draws on the ballot than there are good workers. Yeah. Like, you can make a case that Ciancara should be in because he was such a tremendous draw. Also, like, unlike a lot of other guys, you could say, like, what separates him from a guy like Junkyard Dog or a guy like Goldberg is, like, he drew over an extended period of time. And then as he transformed into, like, a part-time worker later in his career past his prime, like, he still draws every time he shows up. Like, so, like, he basically, like, uh, is a working model of how WWE uh, tries to treat, like, Rock and Goldberg and Brock and people like that. Where, like, for a long time, like, he would just show up, like, and do a short run. And, like, in that short run, he would be super over and, like, he would pop gates every single time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like, to me, that, that shows somebody who should be in. Like, if you... I don't know that you can say that he's an influential worker um, because or performer because, like, one, you know, he, he he's not good at wrestling. <laughs> but, like, <laughs> he is a if, – if you watch any of his matches, like, any of the big matches, like, um, you know, the, the big one, like, Arreo de Jalisco Jr., um, uh, even, like, well past his prime where he wrestled Paraguayo Jr., like – um, you can look at him and you can understand immediately why he's a star. It's like, um, uh, what's the, like, do you know that, um, that entrance of Onita when he was fighting Chono, when he just like walks down to the ring and like, uh, people are throwing trash at him Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> he puts down the chair and lights a cigarette and like drinks water out of the water bottle that somebody throws to him and like, like you don't need to know anything about Onita to know that like that guy is a dick and that guy's a huge fucking star, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, immediately, yes, yeah, obviously. So like, Dan uh, Karras is uh, similar in that, like that you can watch his matches and you can be like, okay, like this guy is like a boring heavyweight worker from the '80s, but like he could, he's a fucking star. Like, he, you know, he he knew how to be a dick. He knew how to be a heel. He could work all different ways, like. He was, um, like, he could work on top and, like, be really dominant and be this, like, big bully asshole. But then, like, he knew exactly when to turn it and become a coward, which is, like, really a a rare skill. Like, he read the crowds really well. Like, he generated heat really well with what he would do. Um, It just didn't equal good matches, you know? (laughs) Um, And I don't know, like, if... uh, I, I truly don't know, you know, maybe one of the historians would um, like if, if people believe that like maybe there's footage that we don't have of him being a better worker, but like from what we've seen, I sort of doubt it. Mm. Uh, but again, if being a, a good worker was a requirement to be in this hall of fame, you have to kick out like half the fucking guys in. So <laughs> that may be true. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think like, and I also think like, you know, we, maybe we can't like, judge his work failure because like he was doing a heavyweight style in mexico that like was always going to be like more boring and less work ratey than like the middleweight and welterweight stuff of the same time period like mm-hmm. he didn't interact with guys like negro casas and elia de santo you know like yeah. so he didn't get to work feuds a lot of the time uh during his prime of guys that like would have maybe carried him to like awesome fast-paced matches you know yeah. certainly 
the style that he was working was not a style conducive to Dave liking it either, you know? <laughs> yeah. But so it sounds, it sounds pretty cut and dry here. Sounds like he's a guy, not a great worker, but good at working maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Good at a working good professional wrestler, you know, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, so the, the next one we're going to talk about is Dr. Wagner Jr. Um, there's another one that's in the category of what the fuck for me, like, cause you've just seen this guy's name over and over and over again, but yeah. I don't know anything about whether or not he's a, he's a deserving candidate, but like he's one on this list that just, I, I was a little bit surprised wasn't in and, and that his numbers were as low as they are. So gonna going be... back to, oh, I'm going to give his numbers real quick. Yeah. So going please. back to, going back to 2011, he was um, 42%. Then that was his high mark actually. Then 34, 35, 24, 27. And again, last year, 27. So. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what his numbers are. Like, I did not realize before I started doing the doing research for this podcast how far away he was, like percentage wise. Because if he had been like thirty five or forty percent, I think that the match against Psycho Clown gets him. In. Yeah, because uh, that was that was one of those matches that kind of you know I watched that. So that was right. kind of match where like a lot of people who don't really watch that much lucha probably went and watched that match. Right. which I'm sure is going to help him because, you know, it wasn't like a disaster or anything. No, it's, um, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's pretty good, you know? Yeah, like, people, I, mean, I, I, I saw some people who hated it, but I thought, I thought it was cool. I didn't dislike yeah. it or anything. And, you know, it clearly was a big deal to the people there. I mean, what, didn't it do a better rating than the fucking boxing match or something? It did. So they played yeah. it on tape delay after the Floyd mayweather Conor McGregor match. And it did a better television rate. I think it did like a 21.4 or something yeah. insane. Like it did like Super Bowl ratings. I mean, I did not know who Psycho Clown was. So I was like, okay. But like, I, he, apparently he's a big star too. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, Psycho Clown is related to the Brazos. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. yeah, so like the, but, but Dr. Ryder, you know, again, he's a guy I've always known the name. I've seen him pop up. Uh, you know, he pops up in your, if you watch Japanese wrestling, he pops yeah. up from time to time in New Japan. And always a guy I enjoyed in New Japan, you know, one, I mean, it's tough for me to critique. He's in, a, in some way, I wrote this in my notes. He's sort of like a uh, mirror image Nakamura. And like Nakamura was like pretty boring in Japan for a long time, like serviceable, but boring. And then, like, went to Mexico and then, like, suddenly found charisma. Oh, wow. You know? And then, like, uh, Wagner, I think, is similar in that, like, he was, like, a fine mid-card hand in Mexico. And then, like, he went to New Japan and then, like, all of a sudden was, like, super charismatic and over. You know? Which one? Do you remember, like, when? Like, when you're talking for when he went to New Japan? Um, that was what? That was, like, the, the late 90s, right? Okay, because he, 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 like, his very first appearance in, in New Japan from re- researching this was 88, yeah. actually. Okay. So that's why I was wondering when you were talking about Like, I figured... Yeah, you know, so later than that, yeah. Yeah, so, like, the, the late 90s is when he was, like, in the... He was in the Best of Super Juniors, I think, three years in a row. Mm-hmm. He was, like, 97, 98, 99 or something. So that's probably what you're talking about, I think. Yes, yeah. So then he came... You're saying he came back from that and had more charisma all of a sudden. And it might have been just... He was really over in that run in New Japan, yeah. which is why they kept bringing him back. So maybe it's just the confidence of going to Japan and getting over. Yeah, that's probably it. I mean, he's another guy, too, like, similar to Nakamura, where, like, he loafs a lot, too. You know, like, there's there's long stretches of his career where, like, he turns it on for, for big shows. You know, like, the Psycho Clown mm-hmm. match is a good example, but, like, the, the, the build leading up to the Psycho Clown match is, like, pretty tough. You know? <laughs> uh, so, like, 
that that's an interesting thing that I think hurts his candidacy. I actually think that Wagner, um, for me, is on like the the lower half of people that are nominees on this ballot right now. Mm. Um, despite the fact that he's probably the candidate that has the most buzz. Um, yeah. You know, there's a there's sort of some what ifs with Wagner that I think like I don't know if they help or hurt like uh, you know him uh, like I wonder what his candidacy would look like if his CMLL run where they brought him in to be part of Ingobernables uh, would have been um, like if that would have been a big deal because like he was part of the sort of like original build for that. And he quit CMLL, um, like sort of in solidarity with LA Park. Ah, uh, okay. I remember. I remember that actually. Yeah. I didn't, uh, know, I didn't know that was in. Go- that was like in Gobernables. That's interesting. Yeah. So they like they brought him in, and like he was sort of like, like, um, like, you know, in in Mexican wrestling, they have this like a uh, padrino thing where you know, like, like an older wrestler, sort of like, you know, taking in a younger wrestler, almost, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Mystico, they did it with El Hijo del Santo, um, and uh, and like they, I think they brought him in to sort of like shepherd La Sombra, who was like super over at that point already. But like they they wanted to like give him a rub in some way, but like before they could do anything, he quit. You know, yeah. Uh, and like he's he's bounced around. You know, like he's um, he, you know, he's had good matches uh, outside of of major companies. You know, he's drawn a little bit in major companies like he's protected himself as a star which i think helps him um i do think like i don't know how much this hurts someone you know i think this varies depending on how people view it but i think that like he ushered in in mexico like him and a few others ultimo guerrero is another one too like he ushered in um this the like the idea of the cool heel to Mexico, mm. um, which maybe like you know isn't the the best thing. Like until Ultimo Guerrero and you know Wagner and a few others like Perito, um, like you know heels got booed. You know like mm. and now like you know so heels- even even the famous like like because I you know again someone who's read about it more than anything else like the famous heel fans that are in Mexico that did not exist before that. I mean, there are guys that like the Rudos, but like, you know, it's also like a family oriented product, you know, at the time. And like, you know, kid, they, they were there to get booed by women and kids, you know? Yeah. Like, so the Rudo, so, the, so like the Rudo fan phenomenon really started with, the, with them. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I, I think so in, in some ways. There are always Rudo fans, just like there's those fans that dressed up like the Four Horsemen, you know, back <laughs> in the day. Right. Yeah. But like, um, uh, but like it's worth being like a big thing, maybe like a big section of the sure. audience. Sure, and like, but I think that the 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 point I'm trying to make, not so eloquently, is like, uh, they were a like Wagner as a heel does things to try and get cheer, like yes. does things to try and like be cool, you know. Um, you, okay, here's here's the scale. Is yeah. it one to Marty Marty Scrawl? Is my scale. <laughs> Marty Scroll. He's like a, he's like a six on the Marty Scroll scale. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, I I do think that Wagner's candidacy is hurt in some way, uh, because like there was a period in AAA where um, like Mystico and uh, Para Junior got hurt, I think, um, and like we're out 
and like they put uh wagner as the they positioned him as the top star in triple a in their absence and like everything fell apart mm. like triple a like really like the everything suffered with him as a top star and like uh that that's enough to keep a lot of guys out of the hall of fame that probably have better resumes than wagner to begin with you know? yeah that's a good point so is he one so he's not one of your 11 i'm guessing i i mean i, I would probably vote him in but like like he is he's on the bottom half of the ballot. okay so because i want to keep track now we have we have 11 people that you thought were like uh that was a number out of my head uh, uh, <laughs> on the ballot like 13 or something like yeah. that he's one of the two non-slam dunks let's say uh, well, there's one person I think actively probably shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame. Okay, and then we'll there's one that. person that I I would abstain from voting because I don't, like, I just don't. Oh, uh, okay. And so then, Wagner is included in your list of that you probably would vote for. I would probably vote for him, just not over other people. Gotcha. Okay. If I could only vote for five, Wagner wouldn't be in my five. But if I can vote for ten, Wagner's probably in the ten. Okay. That's interesting. But so to go over his Japan history real quick, because it's interesting. Yeah. He was a big deal. So 97, he's in the best of Super Junior. He didn't really, he was like two and four or something. 98, he goes all the way to the finals. Um, but he loses to Koji Kanemoto, which is a, a pretty famous match. I actually remember that match. Because there was like, I, I can't remember exactly when Kanemoto dropped the Tiger Mask 3 gimmick, but I think it was right around like maybe a year or two before that only. So that's, that's one of his famous, his more famous early unmasked matches. Um, and then he went, he, him and Kendo Kashin formed like a pretty famous team in the yeah. junior tag title tournament final. Um, and then they, two of them actually won the junior tag titles at, uh, at, at the Tokyo Dome, uh, one four ninety nine. Um, I think they, they, yeah, they held them for 96 days. They lost in the great Sasuke and Jushin Liger. It's another kind of, I believe that's a kind of famous match. And then he had his, he finished his run up with the, Best of Super Junior in '99 again, which was won by Kendo Kashin. So interesting. He was. It was a big. He was. You know, um, he had as long a sustained run as almost any of the luchadors in modern times in Japan. I think. So yes, yeah. people people probably will know him for that. I mean, I've seen him probably more than I've seen anybody else on this list because of that. Just because of that run. So yeah, I mean, there are times when he's been super over. You know, like. Yeah. Uh, Maybe it's like, and we've brought him up a few times in this podcast, like, maybe to me it's kind of like Randy Orton in that, like, you can always point to Wagner being really over. I just don't think that you can point to it, like, having an impact on business, necessarily. Yeah. So it's very, it seems like, it seems like more of a mixed bag. Yeah, I would say that he's a mixed bag. Like, he's not, he's not a, to me, you know, he is a candidate with warts. You know, he's a deserving nominee, certainly, you know, mm, uh, and like, but, you know, you, you can't like with other guys that we've talked about so far, I've had to play devil's advocate with Wagner. I can like say like, these are honestly flaws that I have mm. to, rest, to wrestle with before I, you know, actively pursue putting him into a Hall of Fame. And with all that said, still would be the strongest k on the American bout, probably. I would. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Um, also uh, like let's not ignore someone asked uh, one of the questions which I assume we'll get to at some point like um, someone asked what my favorite mask was I actually think that Dr. Wagner Jr.'s mask is my favorite mask so it's a pretty uh, awesome fucking mask I mean yeah it'd be up there for me too yeah so (laughs) that's a really awesome mask um 
Okay, so moving on to the next one, which is a trio, the second and thankfully last trio. Um, <laughs> Missionaries. So the yeah. El, C- El Signo, El yep. Texano, and Negro Navarro. Yes. Um, they got 36% in 2014, jumped all the way to 56% in 2015, almost got in, then dropped back down to 47% last year. You talked about that a little bit when you talked about the other trio, right? Yeah, I mean, I think they're tied with, to the Bravos. Uh, Brazos, I'm sorry. Um, so these two trios, sit, like, they're the midnights and rock and roll of trios wrestling in, in Japan. Yeah, 100%. So, like, they yeah. should be in. Like, that's, like, again, there's no, I almost don't even want to hear an argument against this. Like, yeah. if they set up if they set up trios wrestling, if they're that big an influence, I mean, the Midnight's and the Rock and Roll Express are both in last time I checked. So, yeah. I mean, and like, I, you know, the Brazos, like, I can, like I said, like, I, you know, I don't think they're good arguments, but like, I could see why your average observer voter would like watch some of the footage and say, like, the, oh, okay, these guys aren't my cup of tea or whatever. Like, with, with, the Missioneros, like, I don't see it. Like, they, we've got good footage from them all over the place. You know, they are, uh, like, a tremendous example of the Lucha Classico style. Uh, as singles workers, they are all really good. Like I said before, they are, they are, you know, fringe Hall of Famers as singles careers, you know? Um, like, they, to me, uh, and I think to others as well, like, I don't think I'd get pushback for saying this, like, really are the the missing link like they bridged the gap between the like the old style of lucha um and like the modern new fast lucha with dives and things like that you know um i i see no argument why they why they shouldn't be in um you know like i think that i think they're awesome like even in my notes like you said like you know they're they're heel rock and roll express like they they are directly responsible for the layout and the style of trios matches in Mexico, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe the only reason I can think of that, like, them and, and uh, Brazos are not in is that, like, trios work just isn't popular in the U.S., you know? Um, so, like, people, it's alien or something, but they should be in. Like, I don't, I, uh, we don't need to go over their, their accolades or anything, because they should be in. Uh, okay, my mic. We're good. So anyway, um, the yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't. It seems pretty ridiculous that they're not in, just based on what you've said here. But what you're saying, where they have more of a, you know, even more of a case, like that is reflected in the the difference with their vote total. Yeah, I mean, they they came very close two years ago, and they were still pretty high up there last year. So yes, maybe they'll get in one of these years. I hope so. You know, I mean, they they they're deserving. Like maybe maybe this year they get in because. Negro Navarro had that match with Zack Sabre Jr. that like got a lot of publicity. Like maybe that gets people to rewatch. Always a good, always a good, always a good reason. You know, but like <laughs> yeah. maybe that gets people to rewatch some of this stuff or like see that he's still performing at like a ridiculously high level. You know. Yeah. So uh, yeah, that's this trio who definitely should be in from the sounds of it. Yeah. Uh, up next, we have Hurricane Hurricane Ramirez, right? Yeah. It's like Hurricane Rana. Yeah. Um, he invented the Hurricane Rana. Yeah. I mean, I I soon I read that. I'm like, okay, well, again, why is this guy not in? But anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, so going back to 2010, he started with 15, percent then 27, then 40, which is his high water mark, then back down to 19 the next year for some reason, then 27, then 31, and then last year 38. percent um, yeah, that seems like a pretty good case that he invented this move that the entire fucking world uses like 10 times a match. 
Yeah. I mean, people use that DDT as a good as an argument for Jake the Snake Roberts, who's he's in, right? Isn't he in? I don't know if Jake is in. Actually, I actually don't even know. You're right. I don't. Yeah. I can't. He might not be. Yeah. Someone, someone can tell us afterwards. I can't remember. Yeah. Honestly. Someone will correct us, but yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like again, like in the in the influence innovation component, like clearly he is in uh, because he invented the Hurricane Rana. Like right, like if you invent the Hurricane Rana, like you deserve a spot. Um, you know, the, the issue here is that we don't have uh, a lot of footage. Um, so, like, he was, a, he was a movie character that they invented. Mm. Um, like, uh, you know, like, similar to the El Santo monster movies, you know, El Santo and Blue Demon. Yeah. They, like, a movie studio invented this character. And then, like, they found a wrestler to, like, take on the role to wrestle. But, like, we don't have any footage of him, like, doing actual matches. We just have stuff from, like, the magazines describing it. And then we have the footage that was interspliced in these movies. Um, mm. Like, what hurts his candidacy, obviously, is that we don't have footage. Um, yeah. But, like, there's a few things that you can point to that, like, I think are are really telling. Um so I remember a Cubs fan a couple of years ago on a podcast made the point about this, that um, you can keep other promotions in other South American countries were created based on the popularity of his movies. So mm. like as the movies would travel around South America, pro wrestling would go through like a little mini boom and he would show up and pop gates there and then move on. like. Uh, which is pretty crazy when you think about it, you know, yeah, like none of it had like lasting impact, I don't think, but like, it's, it's still pretty incredible. I can't imagine somebody doing it, doing that now, you know? Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that I'd like to bring up that like is, is really interesting is, um, and I, I'd love to hear Dave talk about this actually. Um, but apparently, um, uh, again, like I'll give credit to to other people for finding this out because my Spanish is not the greatest. Um, but like apparently in his day, um, he got the same complaints about his work that like modern high flyers do now. <laughs> like they're like, he's doing a hurricane rana. Like he doesn't know how to work. It's just spots, you know, like. Uh, uh, it's which awesome. is hilarious, you know. Yeah. But so that's Huracan Ramirez. Uh, it sounds like he again he has a pretty cut and dry case. Um, he also has so his nickname was the uh, Principe de Seda, which is the Silk Prince, which is a, like an all time favorite. That is a really cool nickname. Yeah. Uh, so up next we have Carlo Lagarde. Lagrade. Yeah. Lagarde. Uh, he started out with thirty five percent, then thirty five, forty five, fifty two. That was his high water mark in 2013, then dropped since then, 48, 41, and now last year, 42%. Uh, he's another old-timer, right? Like, not not someone there's a ton of information on. Yeah, I mean, there's, like, we know a little bit about him. Was like, he Huracan's rival, was that, or was that somebody else? He was El Santo's main rival. I mean, he did wrestle Huracan Ramirez a lot. Yeah. Uh, he also feuded with Cabernario Galindo a lot. Um, like, his tag team... Uh, was Rene Guajardo, who got in in 96. Like, he was one of the inaugural uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Famers. Mm. Um, so, like, all, like, all of his contemporaries are in. Like, 
he's a major part of that time period in wrestling. But there's like a lot that we just don't know about him. Like, you know, he's probably one of these guys that like is going to have to get in based on like a historical ballot, you, you know? Yeah, so he'll he'll drop off the lucha ballot eventually and just go to the historical category where he'll get yeah. in. Yeah, I think that's what's going to have to happen. Like, so was he the guy you were talking about before that you don't know much about? I probably would vote for for Karloff. Okay, um, okay. I, I Ruben Juarez is the other one. Oh, okay. Uh, but like, I um, yeah, I mean, like, the only reason that I uh, that Karloff would would you know get a vote from me is like, it's such a tremendously formative time for Lucha that he's a big part of. And if you like, go look at like the online scans of the like Lucha magazines from back then, uh, which are really like the resource that we have. Like he's plastered on those things. Like he's yeah. all over them. So like, you know, you get the impression that he was like a huge, you know? Yeah. So not a lot more to say about him, I guess. Yeah. Up next we have uh, L.A. Park. Is it La Park or L.A. Park? I don't L.A. Know. Park. But but La Parca, right? It was always yeah. La... It is it is the original La Parca. The original La Parca. Um, L.A. Park. Yeah. yeah. So thirty one percent originally in twenty ten, then thirty four. It is high watermark of 53 in 2012, then 46, then all the way down to 24, then 29, and then last year, 39%. So, I, I mean, I, this is, one, again, a guy that I've seen wrestle a lot because he was in WCW. And, yeah. you know, as a, as a kid, I fucking loved him. Yeah. And I'm sure that's the truth for a lot of kids where it's like, here's this fucking man, skeleton man yeah. playing air guitar on a, on a steel chair and, like, doing all this wacky shit. Like, how could you not love him? I agree. Um, there was that one episode of Thunder that Kevin Nash did where he was the commentator. You uh-huh. know what I'm talking about? Like, his very last episode before they, he, like, was going to lose the book to Vince Russo. And, like, he booked La Parca to be, like, this amazing baby face in the show where he runs out and saves Buff Bagwell from two, a two-on-one beating from I don't even know who. Who uh, yeah. doesn't fucking matter. So he saves Buff Bagwell, and then Buff's like, what? And then he's like, the park and then Kevin Nash on uh, commentary because you can tell he was very clear to himself. He's like, "Well, Parka, what's the Parka doing down here?" <laughs> you can tell, but but meanwhile the crowd was going fucking nuts for it. Like, yeah, Kevin Nash booked it as a joke, but the crowd's like, "Yeah, La Parka, like awesome!" Like they were they were not they they probably were laughing along in some on some degree, but they were on the other hand they were just like, "Fuck it, man, let's let's do it, La Parka." But I'm, that was as close to an actual push as he ever got in WCW. Yeah, so, like, a here's the night. thing, right? Like, he is probably hurt in some way by that WCW run being, like, the thing that people see the most, you know? Yeah. But, like, but like, truthfully, like, he got over as fuck in WCW. Yeah, like, with it's, nothing. It's, not, it's <laughs> like, people really need to understand this. Like, he, people fucking loved La Parca. I'm trying. That was the point of that story. Yeah. Kevin Nash put him as a joke partner, uh, yeah. as a fucking in joke, and the people fucking went nuts when yeah. the partner ran out. Like they always loved him. So it's like there was something about him that charisma he had in this yeah. full body fucking skeleton suit. Yeah. Oh, not speaking at all, by the way. Always <laughs> came through. Yeah. So like he had something. He always had something. Even as a a fucking twelve year old who knew nothing, I could tell you that. Yeah. So like, I mean, you know, I think he gets, he should get credit for getting over despite like his record in WCW was probably like three and 500, you, you know, yes. that might be, that might be like conservative actually. Yeah. Number of losses. <laughs> but like, 
he it just speaks to him being able to get over literally anywhere and like he's still over and he can still go like he has my match of the year currently in 2017 he had a top 10 match of the year last year like in 2013 he had uh like one of my favorite matches of the year like he is consistently a tremendous worker um and like i think it's a style of work that really translates um you know i i think actually laparka's candidacy in some way hurts wagner because mm-hmm. like you know a, a lot of the things that you can point to like wagner in terms of like the top work rate stuff were his like long like feud with with la park where they just went like indie promotion to indie promotion and like got over and had awesome matches everywhere. But like, since they stopped doing that, uh, like Laparca has basically done the same thing with Roosh. So like, in some ways I feel like Laparca has a formula that he can plug guys into. And if guys are like willing to like, you know, hit him really hard and get hit really hard back, like he can get people over anywhere. Mm. Um, I mean, he he's probably like a pretty good draw you know i think that he's had some some big drawing stuff the the issue with him is like he's one of these guys like one of these wrestlers like like loki or brody or stan hansen to some extent that like are incapable of being in one place for one time uh, you know one time and like always leave on bad terms Mm. you know so like there's just like there's not anywhere that you can point to like an extended run from him that like really was was awesome um remember like this is another stat courtesy of chris zellner i'm trying to to give credit where credit is due but like he came to the u.s um a few years ago uh, and did a show in Atlanta that just had radio advertisements and flyers and drew 6,500. <laughs> so like, like he's pretty, he, like he's over, people know who he is. Like, and he's had amazing matches just like all, all over the place. Um, like, uh, also, I mean, I think that he deserves credit and going into the hall of fame just for going to CMLL, like a place that doesn't have a ton of rules. And immediately getting fired for breaking the one rule that they have. <laughs> like, like he, he literally goes to CMLL. They're like, all right, like you you and Wagner are going to have this bitch and feud. Like, you're going to get over. Like, maybe we'll even do an Apuestas match and pay you a ton of money. Just don't go out there and curse. And he's like, you know what I'm going to do, guys? I'm going to try and get go fuck your mother over as a catchphrase. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's awesome. So, but like, that's the type of guy he is like, and he was asked like earlier this year, he was in an interview and like, and, and they were like, why, like, why do you think like you aren't in CMLL or AAA? And he said, like, I'm too much of an asshole for one company. <laughs> like, that's awesome. yeah, I mean, he just said, he strikes you as like the coolest fucking guy in the, the history. Uh, um, so, so why is he, what's his argument against him? I, I don't. I know. just never can't stay. Like you never stay in one place. Yeah, I think that I think the argument is that there's that there's no like you want a Hall of Fame guy to be a guy that you can build a company around or a company has been built around in some way, mm-hmm. you know. 
Like, I don't even think that you can point to Laporta having like an extended main event run, really. Like, he's had yeah. feuds, but then he goes off somewhere. You know? I mean, I you know if he's always. I don't know. I I think that's a pretty shitty counter. Like, can't a guy get in who's not in one promotion? I we're, yeah. this is this is like the most positive episode of any podcast ever recorded. But, yeah, you know, you're, you're, you're convincing like, that every single happen. every single lucha candidate is a slam dunk hall of famer. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, like, and you know, like, I mean, I, I mean, I, I should to be fair. When I saw this list, there were people that I was like, "Why the fuck isn't that person in the hall of fame?" Yeah. And L.A. Park was one of them. So yeah, I mean, like, but, <laughs> yeah, like L.A. Park has has a bunch of good matches too like he's another guy that like i think you can get in on work rate i do think like and i don't i don't want to sound like i'm throwing dave under the bus but like i do think that la parks work is like maybe not something that appeals to dave all that much you know um and like well maybe that's not true because like dave likes like you know like fast-paced brawls kind of like dave liked brody dave like hansen you know but, like, I don't think in 2017 that's what Dave is looking for in a match, you know? No, not, not really. And uh, so I think that maybe, like, some of the matches that are of the past five or ten years of his career that, like, are are really memorable, like, aren't heavily pimped with that community, necessarily. Um, yeah. You know, I do, uh, you know, like, but there, there's some awesome stuff from his career. Like, there's a... Like, he, after WCW, like, uh, you know, um, folded, and he went back to Mexico, uh, AAA had just, you know, gave another guy the La Parca gimmick. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, and so, <laughs> L.A. Park, like, got in a legal battle with AAA about whether he could use the name. Right, he wasn't they, even, like, he, they wouldn't even let him on CML television for a while because of this, right? right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And then, like, and then they... You know, he was like, all right, well, like, you know, they, they sort of settled it a little bit. And they're like, we're going to have a big feud in AAA <laughs> for the the name. And like, and they they have this big feud and they like build this big match of like, who can, who's the real La Parca? And L.A. Park just shows up to this match and beats the holy fuck out of, <laughs> out of the current La Parca. Just like takes as many liberties as humanly possible in a match. <laughs> <laughs> and the coach was awesome. like, fuck it, I don't even want my name anyway. I'm LA Park now, bitch. Like, <laughs> like there's just like there's there's something like so like old school about him. Like he's he's like the last bastion of those like wrestler folk heroes of these guys who just like went town to town and like fucked shit up, you know? Yeah. So everybody vote for LA Park is what I'm getting out of this. Like Yeah. Um all right, so next up, Ruben Juarez. This is the one you said you don't know anything about, right? Yeah, you know, I, I will, uh, I've read one thing on Ruben Juarez in my life, which was uh, the, the piece that got him on this ballot, uh, which was on Lucha World uh, by Fredo Esparza. Um, it's one of my favorite pieces of the year. Um, it, like, it's a tremendous biography of, of a guy that I don't know uh, a ton about. Um but you know, it was tremendously interesting. Um, like it, it's also like, I'll just say that it's one of the reasons that I really do love Lucha in Mexico. Like, I feel like it's, it's awesome to find out that there's still like uncharted territory within mm-hmm. wrestling, you know, like it's awesome to find out that we've got these guys 
that we don't know a lot about, you, you know, that we're still discovering. Um, uh, you know, I know that he had a couple really noteworthy feuds, like, you know, he drew in America against Ernie Ladd, uh, uh, which is noteworthy. But, like, I, I don't want to waste people's time humming and hawing my way through this because, like, I just don't know. Uh, and we're already, you know, already got a long time. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would encourage people to, to see what they could do. I have a feeling he's another guy 